The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. insane songs I've ever heard. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the guitarist from Nicky Nacky New. It's Dave Hill. <laughs> Nicky Nacky New. You were, you were almost... He's obviously checking things out. You were, you were going to be called Nicky Nacky New. Yeah, yeah, it was um, It was because we had this agent bloke in London, like, <laughs> and he keeps saying, yeah, all right, Nicky Nacky New. And we're going, what the heck's Nicky Nacky New? <laughs> it was just... 
I think it was one of those off-the-beam thoughts that we had occasionally in the band. Sometimes you're trying to change your name. We came to London in, in those days, and the, the studio guy said, I like the sound of you. He said, would you make an album? In this, uh, and we made an album for this Jack Baverstock at Fontana Records, yeah. who, who seemed to be quite connected as a man. He showed an interest in us. And he said, the thing is, he says, I don't like your name, you know, in-betweens. I mean, what's the in-betweens? Yeah. So he, he got a bit like that about the Nicky Nakinu. Coming and, up with a band, I've been in bands when I was younger, coming up with a band name is the hardest oh, yeah. thing. Because you want something that's kind of catchy, but you can say over and over again, yeah. and you don't get bored of it. How did you, because it was Ambrosia. But Dave Hill from Slade, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. in case Hello. you wondered. <laughs> um, Ambrosia Slade, how did you come up with that and then shorten it? Well, basically, he offered some money to members of the staff to work at Fontana to come up with a name. And there was a woman there, apparently, who used to call things she owns by names so she remembers them. So it could be a purse, which is Ambrose, and it, <laughs> it, it, it could be a bag named Slade. That's the going story, and she got 50 quid. She, <laughs> yeah, she got 50 quid, and she came up with this idea of Ambrose Slade. Jack Baversot went for it. He said, yeah, that's great, yeah, that's, that's much better than the in-betweens, you see. So, uh, OK, fine, and... Then he said, but you'll never do anything with northern management. That's what he right. said. He said, you need to be somebody in the business in London to actually yeah. hear you. And, of course, he was right. But what we didn't realise is his connection from that time led to a connection to an agent in London. Yeah. I think his name was John Gunnell. John Gunnell, I think, was connected to Chaz or Stigwood, Robert Stigwood. Yeah. Something like... It was like a little bit of a melting pop of several... Stigwood was the agent for the Bee Gees? Yes, he right? was, and yeah. And Chaz Chandler was, had been in The Animals. Yeah, I think there was a connection there somewhere. I've never really asked Chaz precisely how he heard about us. Yeah. But John Gunnell met us and said, I know somebody, right? That's, that's the way it was. I know somebody... And the somebody he knew was Chas Chandler, yeah. and it was like, it was like two things meeting that that maybe are looking for each other. Yeah. I don't know. You know that saying: two souls that, yeah. that can spend a lifetime and eventually find each other. It's a bit deep that one, but I think I think yes, well, that's, some, that's another side of me. Um, but the the thing is, had we not been ready. We might not have been ready to be heard by someone. Yeah. Prior to that, it was many years of working. Yeah. I'd like to point out to your listeners that this was no short-term job. This was no extra. You've been doing this for a while. Yeah. There was no reality shows. There was no quick fixes. You've got two things in this business, mainly playing live to yeah. gather an audience then possibly radio. If you're lucky, you might get a bit of recording, if you're lucky. But most of that, it was road work, playing, like the Beatles. Yeah. They had to work the pubs and clubs like we did and the Mecca ballrooms and go to Germany yeah. or whatever they did. But from this situation of in the studio, he got us to make an album and we call it Beginnings, mm. you see. And it's got a lot of extraordinary things on that album. Like, Is that the one with Martha My Dear on? Yes. And, yeah. With... And, a, and a Frank Zappa song. Wow. Right? 
you know, ain't got no art. I mean, we were certainly a bit abstract. Yeah. We weren't a pop band. We didn't always get a lot of work because we wouldn't do chart material. Yeah. So. See, sometimes promoters in Germany would ask for a band who plays top 20 material. Well, that was the gig in the 60s. It was, mm. was a band would go and play, you know, a couple of hours in a nightclub, but you had to do all the hits from the top 20. Yeah. Maybe you could sneak in a couple of your own songs. Yeah. But you guys, I've got to say, beginnings, that, that was the skinhead no, it was before that. Was, OK, right, OK, yeah. That was the Ambrose Slade. So right. we were Ambrose Slade, uh, we got Northern Management. Then Chaz heard something and then John Gorn said, look, I'll put him in one of my clubs in London, which was just off Bond Street somewhere, right. it's called Rasputin. And it was one of those where it. you go downstairs and there's a little stage up the corner where they're playing uh, records... So there's a bit of a DJ, and and it, we're stuffed up a corner, quite a small stage, very right. low, and then in comes Chaz, and we see him coming down the stairs. You see, because it was only small, and we just we just did what we've always done. We didn't pretend to be anything other than what we were. Yeah. But he watched us, and he just came across and said, "I want a manager," wow. and it was like some movie clip, you know, yeah. where somebody walks in slow motion with a cigar, you know. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I'm going to... Ma- no, I'm going to you guys stars. Uh, yeah. He you know, it, it, it was so enthusiastic. And one of the first things he said to me was, he said, oh, you're quite small, aren't you? He, <laughs> he, he says, he says, you're quite small. I said, yeah. He said, I think we could have a really good idea with you. We'll get the biggest guitar you could possibly get, <laughs> right, and put it on you. He said... And I thought, I like this man. He's he was speaking your language at that ideas. point, wasn't he? <laughs> no, no, no. We should, let, let's, we, let's get the plug in now. We're going to get plenty of plugs in. We've been talking about this book all week, Dave. Uh, You've got, you got a book out, Dave Hill. So here it is, the autobiography. This is an updated yeah. version, because it came out last year, and there's an extra chapter in this one. Yeah. We have been banging on about this all week. You very kindly brought a copy in case we didn't have one. We've got three somewhere on this premises. Mm-hmm. Um, I've devoured it. I've read it. I've loved it. Uh, it. You can buy it, of course, on Amazon, the usual places. If you go, dear listener, to... I've tweeted the link to the Big Green Bookshop, which I think you oh, were yeah, a couple of really weeks good, ago. That one. Uh, our mate Simon runs that, and there's, he's got a load of signed copies. Probably yeah. not a load now, probably just a handful. But I've tweeted the link. You can get signed copies for a tenner. Yeah, that's a good bookshop. It's a great bookshop. Simon yeah. is, is a, a big fan of the independent bookshops. So tell us... About the skinhead phase, then, because that is for those you know, everyone everyone knows what Slade looked like, but the pictures of you guys with the skinheads is a real Hmm. shock to the system. It was a shock to the system when we did it. (laughs) I bet it was. (laughs) I mean, we'd all got nice girls when we had long hair. They actually left us when we caught all. You had a you had a posh millionaire's daughter or something. Yeah, I I was going out with a girl from Alton Towers, which is a big. Theme park. Yeah, I, I sort of fancied myself maybe marrying into the family. You know, so <laughs> well, you to, correct me if I'm wrong, but I went out with a girl. She was quite posh. She sort of said things like mater and pater. You know, oh, those wow. Crikey, that is posh. Yeah. Yes. And, and she got a sports car, and, and then she'd come to our humble council house and pick me up. <laughs> and, um, yes, she was, she was quite pretty, um, and uh, I met her when we did uh, the old band... Did a show on on the Orton Towers Park, you see. So, and I think we were on with a group called the Love Affair at the time. Oh, and yeah, they were yeah. really happening. And I met this girl, and, and she was she was like twiggy thin, you know. She was she was blonde, and I've always liked blondes. And 
and I, I, I do remember the day I rung her <laughs> to say, um, I've had a phone call from my manager, Charles Chandler, who's, who's told me to get my hair cut off. He said it'll be worthwhile because I'll be a millionaire, he said. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'll, I, I like the sound of those. How many noughts are there in a million? And I was going... In other words, Chaz was very persuasive, right? What happened about this skinhead thing, it wasn't our idea. It was our publicist, Keith Altham, and he wouldn't mind me mentioning this. Keith was is a lovely man. And he's the big publicist at the time. Yeah. Enemy writer, he publicist to the Stones and all sorts of things he was doing. Anyway, he was our publicist. And um, and Jazz was thinking, now, there's a lot of bands with long hair. I think they were just trying to figure out some way of getting us in in, in known, you see. Every band needed a gimmick, didn't something, they? Something. That's something different. It's so hard. Out. No matter how good you were, it was... Trying to get an inroad somehow, you know, he he was trying to think of a way to let let the powers that be mm-hmm. know about us. I think uh, in the book you talk about you had a casual look, so it was not unlike yeah, well, the Stones. Well, we looked at a little time. bit. Um, how can I put it? Pa- Late sixties was very much slightly flower powery, yeah. right. very curly, and uh, you know a bit sort of um, kind of a, a mixture of looking slightly feminine. And, of course, the clothes were great for me. I loved all that. Kensington Market, oh, yeah, we'll go there, buy the flares. And it was all like that then. And um, we'd come through the flower power and all that stuff and, you know, Pink Floyd and all that. We'd come through that. And um, so we were with Chaz. We got long hair. So, yes, we probably looked like a lot of groups as well. But we looked pretty good. And Keith Alton said something to Chaz. He said, oh, Chaz, you know... There's this skinhead movement. They don't have a group. He said, Chas was going, ding! <laughs> he was going, no, they don't have a group. Maybe they could have us. Yeah. You know, and he said, what they got to do? He said, cut the hair off. Anyway, Keith Alvin said that. He said, uh, yeah, it's a good idea. Anyway, then Keith started to get a, a, a kind of bothered about it. So he rung Chas up again. He says, you can't do it, Chas. He went, too late. <laughs> <laughs> too late, Keith. They're down the barbers, all having their haircut oh, up. And, and, and Keith's going, oh, no, they'll blame me. <laughs> he said, they're nice guys, you can't... He'd already done it. Yeah. And I remember I went home and it was all chopped off. And Dad's looking at me, you know. And you know what? We had to go to the Isle of Arran, which took all night to get there. It's way up Scotland and it's cross on a ship to go and play two or three venues in the Isle of Arran, and we were scared in case any skinheads turned up and they might beat us up. You know? <laughs> look like the Bubba Boys. I love the fact, because Slade, you, you know, you, the Super Yob, was your, where did the Super Yob nickname come uh, from? Because was... it makes you sound like such a tough guy, and I get the vibe that you're kind of a pussycat, really. i got a good heart. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm not. I know I was never in fights at school. I never did. That not, I didn't. I always seemed to have friends that beat people, but I didn't have been. You know, there was always something going on. But yeah, the the super he's coming back to Keith Altham again. Right. It was him. Yeah, uh, Keith figures a quite a bit in my life. Um, Keith was. It was at a time when people were called superstars or megastars, yeah. and 
I had a number plate, right, which was on a car I bought. Oh, it was um, a Sunbeam Alp- Alpine. There we go. And what I did not know was the number plate. I never looked. Yeah. I bought the car. I sold my Spitfire, little Spitfire red one, and I just bought it. And and it one day I went to Solihull to do a pub. But it was a posh pub, you know. It was, hey, say, old boy, half a pint. <laughs> and it was a little bit like that. And, and I parked my car, and there were there were all Jaguars and things. And this bloke comes on, and he goes, I say, he said, Yobby. I said, what do you mean, Yobby? He said, that, that number paid on the back of your car, Yobby. <laughs> it was a bit like that, you know, yeah. some old colonel or something. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. Of course, the indication of what a Yob means, you yeah. see. Yeah. So, anyway, this this kind of thing stuck in Keith Altham's mind. He said, well, yeah, that Yob one. He said, why don't we call him Super Yob, you say? Right, and yeah. from that idea... Yeah formulated the kind of guitar that became along, yeah. that I had this guitar to match my costumes, and we called it Supiob. Yeah. So it's become a, a, an attachment. You can you can see It's there it. on the front, yeah. <clears throat> there it is. That's that's the original one, that is, right? Have you still got that guitar? No. Did they I'll get... tell you who's got that guitar. Marco Peroni from the Adam and the Ants. Has he really? Yeah. He bought it out of a he shop. Wasn't expecting it going there, blind. <laughs> well, the reason he's got it is because I flogged it to a shop, right? And that was a mistake. Yeah, of course. But he hasn't got it in his possession at the moment. It's actually in an exhibition in Liverpool. Oh wow! Memorabilia. Yeah, yeah. So it's David Supiob because that's what it's. But I had it remade by the same people, right? But I put some lights up the up the neck as you do. You know, <laughs> you got some Mark great. Too. <laughs> you got some great guitars in the seventies. I know a band that was really influenced by you. I think they ripped quite a lot off you. Were Kiss, of course, in the yeah. states. Yeah. And Ace Frehley kind of took the guitars to the next level. Ace Frehley, the guitarist in Kiss, would have lights that would go up and down like disco lights, and then he'd fire <laughs> rockets yeah. from his guitar and stuff. Yeah. Like. But Kiss, I think, came and saw you when you went to the states and kind of went. Yeah. Ooh, well, we can do this. This was in in the full frontal Serpiob days, right? And I got that guitar, and we played somewhere in New York. It was quite a f- New York. Uh, it was a famous venue where a lot of rock bands played, and we headed to New York because that's where the impact of the publicity was for yeah. us, you see, and LA and all those. But New York was like, oh right, we're going to do this gig in New York, you see. So there's a funny story coming up here, which is in the book, but it's. It was a night. I got the the platforms on. They're quite high that time, and I'd got the outfit and the and the yob. We didn't know Kiss, and we didn't know who they were. Yeah, they were just in the audience. And <clears throat> it wasn't until much later that I met Gene Simmons from Kiss, right. who relates the story. Yeah, and he got it wrong, but it sounded funny what he thought. Right, <laughs> I came on the stage. And we had what you call a little walkway. You could go down the centre. You often see it now in big shows. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, Mick Jagger was walking right in the middle of the audience, right? Well, we had a little walkway, you see, and I spotted that. The problem was I was a bit enthusiastic. <laughs> and I went laying down the front, you know, doing all that, and I fell. And, no. I, and I, fell, I fell on my back, and it looked like a Reeves and Mortimer sketch. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but... My boots come up. <laughs> it was like, and I thought, how do I get round this? Yeah. And I'm going, I'm looking round, 
and the others are killing themselves oh, laughing. I bet. So I, what I do, I try to make it look I actually did it on purpose, <laughs> yes, right? You styled so it out. I sort of, I, yeah, yeah oh, wasn't that funny? <laughs> and uh, the Kiss members bought it because <laughs> when I saw him, he said, uh, he comes up and he goes, you know what Americans like? They go, Mr. Hill, awesome, you know, and they <laughs> yeah. shake, shake your hand. It's great, Gene Simmons, a big tall guy. He said, I saw you in the song, well, it was Radio City or something like that, in New York. He said, you came out to the audience and you went, V-Sign, right. Well, I never do that anyway. <laughs> and he said, you did that to the audience and then you went on your back and kicked your legs out. I thought that was really out of sight. That's part of the act, of course, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's take a quick break. We've got Dave Hill from Slade, not Nicky Nacky New, not the Embassy. No, no, no. Um, he's got a brilliant book. So here it is. Uh, it, it, honestly, so it's such a cracking read. It make, it's going to make a brilliant Christmas present. Um, this is The Late Night Alternative with Ian and Kath on Talk Radio. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. Is your hair's getting a bit like Ringo. <laughs> so we just say we're just back on. Dave's, Dave's ah. telling us about when he worked for Tarmac and wasn't allowed to grow his hair. No, and they would they would they would they call you in and say, "Come on now, Dave." You're well, yeah, that chopped I think off. It, it was a defining moment. I'd spent two years there, and obviously there was some discrepancy about my spelling. Uh, you know that certain documents were being filed under the wrong wrong letters or something like that. There was that comment. I went to night school to improve my English. It did not improve it. And one day, um, I think I must have been 17, I was called in by the personnel officer, because you had one of those in those days. A personnel officer is basically, he's got a he's got some issue with you, you say. <clears throat> and he says... Um, I think it's human resources now, isn't it? HR is what personnel yeah. used to it be. It means yeah. the same thing, yeah, though. Yeah. Trouble, generally. Trouble. <laughs> he, he kicks off by, this is a job for life. And it was sort of like, you understand you're not doing very good at night school and we've also noticed your hair's great. And we also know that you play in a group. So, And you do realise that these groups don't really get anywhere. It's very rare that, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's a point of view. Yeah. You know, this is a solid job, you say. And it was a kind of like, maybe that was a calling card for me because... That led to me going back to Mom and Dad, getting them together, and there's Mom who got me the job, there's Dad who's a mechanic, but they both know I'm musical. Yeah. And they know I'm a natural musical person. Mom, you see, father was a classical pianist, if you read right. the story, yeah. right? Now, I've always been melodic in my mind, in my playing. Although I'm a rock player, I'm very strong in rhythm. Oh, there's more to it than that with you, goods. though. But there's a lot yeah. of um, there's a lot more going on yeah. than you realise with me, um, which will come out one day in my own album. But there's a lot going on with me, and Chas Chandler recognised my guitar playing as unique in itself. I want to talk to you about the guitar playing because I genuinely think you are one of the most underrated guitar players of all time because I, I i i think i think slade are as good as led zeppelin 
But Led Zeppelin were this big albums band doing these long songs, and and Slade, you know, you're doing these three minute pop songs almost. Yeah. I think you're, as, you're, I think the band, the sound is as good as Led Zeppelin. I think your guitar playing is incredible. We've been playing Slade songs all week and just going, listen to this guitar bit. That song we just played, um, the monkey, these mo- kind of monkeys can't swing. Your guitar sound on that is ridiculously good. And I was interested to read that you're left-handed, mm. but you play the guitar right. right-handed. Yeah. Is that partly what gets you your sound? Do you think? Well, that's unusual. I I say that the 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 situation when you when you're 13, as I was, and you've been taught a few lessons by the biology teacher who's a jazz guitarist, yeah. does a few lessons on the side, and he said you. You know that guitar's not very good. You got Dave. You say, well, it isn't because it's a cheap one from Kay's catalogue. You see, and my dad won't spend too much money in case I decide I don't want to do it. Of course, because that used to happen in those days. So he said, well, it's not going to help. He said, anyway, you can't play it upside down the other way around. So I yeah. said, well, I'm left-handed. He said, well. You'll have to play it right-handed, because there weren't any left-handed. Was McCartney around at that point? Because that was... No. no. So this was pre-McCartney. OK, I, right. I've got no indication. Yeah. You've got to bear in mind, in those days, there weren't any guitar shops yeah. either. You might get a, a a music shop that sold the odd drums and flutes and those dreadful recorders you have at school and bits and bobs and, you know, saxophone bits. and all. Yeah. You got that, and you might see one guitar in the wind. It wasn't like... It is now a supermarket of guitars. Yeah. It wasn't like that. Yeah. In fact, you might have to go to London to find something that would look anything like a Fender. And also, the thing as well then, that people forget, electric guitars were really new. Electric guitars hadn't been around that. No. I mean, when did the, the electric guitars like, came out early 50s or something? It became Well, the guitars you saw in catalogues were like Barney Kessel or... They looked quite fat. Yeah. And they were like jazz guitars, you see. And they looked alien to mm. us. To me, you know, the first guitar I saw was acoustic. Yeah. This young kid down by me uh, had got this acoustic, and that's what attracted my attention. It was it was the oddity of it. It was, it was like it wasn't a piano, it wasn't a violin. Yeah. It wasn't a dreadful recorder or any of that. You're very anti-recorders, I'm getting here. You don't <laughs> like the recorders. Well... The other reason I don't like the recorders is that the school teacher at junior school, the headmistress, di- didn't particularly like me oh, anyway. No. And she certainly didn't like an educated mother writing her a letter. Mm. She really took umbrage. Yeah, go on, tell that story, because that's incredible. So, oh, yeah, she didn't like that at all. So your mum your mum wrote a letter saying, oh, I would my, like Dave... my mum wrote letters to... I mean, she, she had dealings with Enoch Powell and all sorts of people yeah. in the Midlands... And Enoch knew she was a, a war cabinet minister right. secretary. We didn't, because she shouldn't mention it, you yeah. say. But he knew. And the thing is, she was cited as important, as she wouldn't have got those jobs. Yeah. She taught the neighbours Pittman shorthand and got them jobs, yeah. right? So you wouldn't mess around. Mom, in a, in a sense, was someone that that was educated to take notes. So she writes a letter to the headmistress... Um, this is great. Yeah. And the headmistress is called Friar, better known as Friar Took. Um, bit of rhyming slang going on as well, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah, yes. there was a little bit of that. I don't want to be offensive. She's <laughs> not, I'm sure she's not alive now. No. But she she um, 
she received the letter and she stopped me dead in my tracks in the in the foyer. I'm going to school and she said, "Boy, Hill," said, "Your mother's written me a letter." She said, "Said join the music class." She said, "You can't join the music class. You can't read music." And I was like, "But I'm nine, you know." I mean, and it was almost like end of. Yeah. And it was end of. And I felt kind of empty and 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 sort of like. I mean, Mom didn't take it any further. That's exactly the response. You. But the recorder was the thing that, right. you know, that was almost like blowing a ruddy whistle. Mm. You know, it was slightly annoying. But yeah. there wasn't many options. It was either that or the squeaky violin, and that would be hard work. But the guitar is a tactile instrument. It was something that. Pop music. There was Skiffle. There was Lonnie Donegan. There was um, Tommy Steele from Nordish. Is it North Shoreditch? Yeah. There was him, and he was like the pop star of the day. Tommy Steele. He was good looking, you know. And and at the time, there was American music coming over, as like Paul Anker and people like that. You see, there was a lot of, you know, there was um, the first song. I, I, um, it was a Ricky Valens song called Tell Laura I Love Her. Tell Do you Laura remember? I, I Love, love her. her. One of those tragic, isn't it? Doesn't he die it's in a, a car It's a tragic crash? song. Yeah, oh, a lot yes. of those songs. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and yes, they are a bit like Johnny Remember Me. Yeah, you know, yeah. Johnny, Johnny you know, Remember you know, Me. You know, it's, uh, and what's that? Ebony Eyes of the Everly Brothers. Oh, I don't know that one. My Ebony Eyes. And, right. And the motorbike accident was. Do you remember that? Leader one? of the pack. Yeah, leader of the pack. There was <laughs> a lot all... of people dying in pop songs. Yeah, there, there was most certainly, you know, um, you know, things like that, and uh, you know, and uh, and I don't know. It's 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 is what it is. I got the sheet music. I took the sheet music to Brian Close, and he said, "Well, look," he said, "You got a bass player, haven't you?" I said, "Yeah, he's me mate. He wants to learn bass." He said, "Well, I tell you what." I'll t- I'll teach you, but you've got to play the guitar right-handed. Mm. Because there's no brainer. You've got to do that. Is because you can't play it upside down. Yeah. It's just not going to work. The strings are wrong one way round. He said you'll get used to it, and he was mm. absolutely right. I did get used to yeah. it, and it's alien to go that way now. Yes, so you can't right. do it the other way no. at all. But I've met guitar players who are left-handed who have learnt left-handed and regret it. Right. Why is that? What? Why? What? What do they? Well, regret? I can only say that the business of your comment about my guitar playing mm. and things like that. If you think about it, the left hand is the power hand, isn't yeah. it? It's not doing the rhythm. Yeah. The right hand's doing the rhythm with me. So the left hand is doing the 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 guts in the strings, the the bending of the notes, the the rhythm yeah. of the notes, because it's all going on. In the sand, and that's the way it is. Yeah. So it becomes the writing hand, the yeah, definitive yeah. hand to grab the neck of a guitar. And the rhythm, I'm, I wouldn't say it isn't as important. It is, it is important, the rhythm, to be able to play good rhythm, which I can do anyway. Yeah. But I think there is a way that... A guy used to say that my guitar playing had a wobble in it. And it, what it was, it's a... That's a really good description, and, yeah. And he said it's the David Wobble. Now, <laughs> the David Wobble? Yeah, David Wobble. That could mean so many different things. Most guitar players bend... If they're going to bend a string, they push it going up. up. Mm-hmm. Going they up. They push it... Or they, they do that, you see. Mm. You'll see them doing it. 
I do it the other way around. Right. So you go, and if you listen to some of the early things, you'll you'll hear that yeah. funny little wobble. Yeah. And it's just a sound. Chess Chandler picked up on that, you say. So sometimes in some of the records, it sticks out. Yeah. Um, have you heard? Um, you keep me straight. You keep me narrow. Oh, right, of course I have. Yes. Yeah. Well, you listen to the guitar parts yeah. in that. It's 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 a fluid guitar. Yeah. All the way through that song, right? In a sense of the way I'm playing. You hear the things I play in that. What What is interesting reading the book is I, I'm always interested in how bands put put the sound together in the studio. And up until uh, Don's car crash, yeah, you were playing like a live band in the yeah. studio. Yeah. You'd go in as as a four piece, and you'd pretty much lay it down live. You, you say nods vocals. You'd do two takes maximum, and that was it. And not much overdubbing. I'm guessing. No, um, the principle was we'd always record together as a group. Yeah. In the studio, not in the vocal move, uh, vocal booth, and sometimes nods, nods vocal at that time would be kept. Yeah, it would be kept from the point of view it actually might be the best one he's done. Yeah, sometimes a lot of vocalists say, "Oh well, you know, I don't have to, uh, you know, it's not the real one, you know," and they can be quite relaxed. Yeah, with Noddy because he has a powerful voice, you cannot overwork that voice. You see. It's one or two takes, and you don't get. If you don't get it, then it's likely not to be as good. Yeah. And he does that sometimes. And Chaz goes, right. I'm going to keep these vocals, and we'll we'll look at it later. And you might find you'll have one set of vocal. He'll, he'll then probably repair the odd bit yeah. and slot it in because everything was on tape. Then you see, it wasn't cut and paste and and technology. It was technology, but it was that kind of technology. And that's the thing is, we play as a band. And then would you overdub guitar, like more guitar parts on top of that? You'd go in. What I do is when I play, um, you play to get the actual take. And then what you've got is really the drummer. The drummer is captured because you don't want to be re-recording the drummer. Yeah, that's when it gets tricky. And also what you've got to remember about those recordings is it starts off at one tempo, right? And at the end, it's slightly faster. Yeah. But you don't notice because as you listen to the record, it's moving. Yeah. And so naturally speaking, when you play live, you don't play quantized same. If you if you use a drum machine, for instance, if you use a drum machine, you can hear it's a drum machine because every bass drum is exactly the same yeah. sound. Yeah. Yeah. A real drummer doesn't sound like that, you see. When a drummer's going boom, snare, boom, snare, the snare, every time he hits the snare, it, although it's a similar sound, it's not quite the That's same. The human factor, it's not perfect. No, and, and also what people need to know is when we do the choruses, you don't do one set of choruses, then copy it and paste it yeah. in another section. You do each chorus, and you do the lot one by one. So when you get to the next chorus, right, you, it's not quite the same as yeah. the one you just heard. It's probably slightly edgier, because as you proceed through a song, it's the same with my guitar playing. I can maybe not sit at home and try and totally work out what I'm going to play, but when I play a track, as it feeds into your brain you go in and you start and what what i can do is or what seems to happen is something speaks to me in a sense of what i should play and what i shouldn't play it's like something goes 
Are you saying there. a lot of those solos on the record are improvised as you're doing it? You've not sat at home the night before. I, I, I would, I couldn't say that I didn't do that. I would say that sometimes I'm in the studio, and I would say some of the things is what we call on the hoof, yeah. which means you are thinking it yeah. on the day. Great. Creative people are not necessarily sitting at home playing. You know, you know the the element of like. Do you practice? <laughs> well, I do, but actually that's playing. Yeah. You know, practicing is, do I do scales? No, I don't do scales. Yeah. No, I don't do scales. Because that sounds to me like, oh, pentatonic. Yeah, oh, yeah. mixodillion. I, I mean, I never knew what those words were when I first... I played all those things when I was young. But didn't know. I didn't know the, the name terms. of them. It was natural. And I don't... I mean, some people say it's a lot of rubbish, you know. They, you know, oh, so technical, man, you know. But actually, actually, it doesn't speak to you. The the solo you picked on earlier, the way it's 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 a feeling, you see, because you are actually put in your own personal energy into that, and it's not about going because there's a lot of players these days that we call them the widdly widdlies, you know. Yeah, and it doesn't say anything; it blows over your head. And then you get guitar players like Eric Clapton. You get guitar players like Billy Gibbons and ZZ Top. You get guitar players like, I don't know, David, not Paul Kossoff, you know, he's yeah. long gone now. But he's sort of, he's more, um, how can I say, um, economical. It's the gaps. Yeah. The it's gaps a, are what make it. It's a bit that that maybe somebody will try and play an extra note. It's the fact that he's missed that. Yeah. It's actually, because... There is something uh, that that comes across, and my wife always notices it in the playing. When there's a lack of it, she'll say there's not enough guitar on there. Right, right. Or something. And it's not that she's bolstering my ego. She's not like that. No. But it's something that... Oh, I love your missus, by the way, from this book, from what I've read about her. Well, she's a superstar, she is. Well, she's solid. Um, she? And she's she's a black country girl, you know, that's, that means work. You know, you grew up in factories and things She's like that. Great. You know, and and basically, she didn't like groups anyway. So, <laughs> so, and she's blonde, and and I met her at a time when you know it was all mini skirts and twiggy and all that sort of stuff. You know, how long have you been with her? That's over fifty years, isn't it? Um, no, not quite that long. Oh. We got married in seventy three. Right. Okay. So when the, the big year forty five. So yeah. we went to America and got married in Tijuana, which is a dump. And, and it's $35 to get married, you know. And we didn't think we were married, but we were. But it this, was legal. God, there's so much I want to ask you. So I want to go back to marriage in a second. Very quickly, I just wanted the comparison of after Don had his accident, where his, his, his girlfriend was killed and his memory was <clears throat> was totally impacted. The, the way you worked in the studio then changed. And what he would do the drums on his own first? Is that how it went? Um what happened with the Christmas song uh, is after the accident, which we didn't know whether he was going to survive, yeah. his girlfriend got killed. She went through the windscreen of a Rolls Royce, right? Um, this was a horrific night. Yeah. I didn't quite capture the impact of it when I had the phone call because it all came via Dad. Mm. And Dad's going, oh, uh, mm. I, I heard that. And then I heard my sister scream. And, oh, mate. and and she she had to ring the girl who got killed was Carol's friend mm. and she had to ring the father to find out if it was true she thought it was a nosy neighbour that was 
giving out. But this is like two or three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So it isn't an Alice neighbour. This is not. Yeah. And at first we thought he just had a bump. We didn't realise the immensity. It went from a bump to he's in hospital and his girlfriend's dead. And it's all happened so quickly. And we were number one in the charts with Squeeze Me Please, mate. We'd just done Earl's Court. We'd done all the big first ones. First band to play Earl's Court, was that right? Uh, not the first. Bowie was Bowie, before of us. Right, OK. Uh, I don't think Bowie fared very well, right. but we did. Yeah, 20,000. Uh, and I think it was pretty remarkable. From what I heard, they laid on extra uh, trains on the underground to cope with the fans because they're all in their glitter and top hats. It must have looked amazing, actually. <laughs> uh, 1973, can you imagine that? We'd done two London Palladiums, right? Um, one in the afternoon and one at night. In one day, we did two shows, right? And the balconies... Uh, there was caution about the balconies then. They would never have us back yeah. because the fans were making the balconies move by bouncing oh, all this kind of stuff well, going on. a lot of stomping. But, but I mean, I don't think the Palladium were quite used to our kind of music. <laughs> um, but it, and in the audience was the Zulu actor, what's his name, uh, Stanley Baker. Yeah. And Stanley Baker was sitting in a box watching us, you say. And Nod said, oh, over there, Mr. Zulu. He made an imagine guy, you know, Mr. Zulu. <laughs> and we was all scared of him, you know, Mr. Zulu. You know, but he, he, um, because we'd worked for Stanley Baker at Lincoln Festival when he actually put us on as an outsider right. group, which actually, we sold the festival. We went down so well that it suddenly made a mark in the newspapers. Yeah. So we cited Stanley Baker as being a little bit of good luck for us, yeah. you know. He put us on. It was raining all the time, and when we went on, it stopped raining, and everybody was jumping around, and we got them going. Yeah. And he come on stage, and I was chucking glitter at him, you know. It was really <laughs> funny. Um, but moving on, I tend to uh, sidetrack. What was the first question? We, <laughs> <laughs> we were... We were talking about the horrific car accident and how and, and, and just Oh yeah, you were talking about the drum kit. Well what happened yeah. what happened was we went to New York and Chance thought, well maybe we could do the odd show with Don and see how he fares. Because what had happened with the accident, the bang on the head caused him to have a memory problem, yeah. right? And he still has a memory problem to this day, but it's not as bad. Right. But it created a concussion. So he so couldn't remember what he'd done the day before. He didn't even and re- he couldn't remember the hits. Well he couldn't remember the girl that got killed either. Really? And in fact the girl he thought about was his old girlfriend oh, before man. it. So uh, he didn't know he couldn't taste he didn't know he couldn't smell either and we didn't know that until later when we found out he'll never have that back right the memory thing was a point where he rings you and goes what time we're leaving 10 minutes later it's done what time we're leaving then again and it you you reach a point where you have to you have to back off it. Yeah, of course. Because it's quite intense. Because Don, it's a bit... Don's... Each day is like Grand Dog Day to Don. Mm, yeah. In other words, it's a new day. Uh, I mean, he has he had to write in those days what he was going to wear the next day and what he w- oh, where he was going. Man. So imagine that. We're in New York, right? <clears throat> and this is something that really is remarkable. We're in New York. John Lennon cancelled some studio time at the record plant. The record plant is the top studio in in New York, right? Chaz said, we've got some free time, he said. 
And he knew about the Christmas song. He knew there was this idea, but he hadn't heard it. So. Yeah. He said, Chad says to, to us, we were doing that. He said, why don't we go in, get Don on the kit and, and record this Christmas song? So it was going to be a bit of a therapeutic job, you said. Yeah. So what we do, we go in together normally and record. We didn't do that this time right. because he wouldn't get through the song for a start, right? Because he might get partway and stop. Anything could happen. So what we did, which we never do, is we rebuilt the kit. Right. We got the theory of the song, but none of us really knew the song very well. We, we, Jim said, this is the chords, Nod's got the lyrics, and a lot of things you hear on the record were thought up on the day yeah. or the week. Isn't it so, funny to think of a time when even Slade didn't know the Merry Christmas everybody? Isn't it funny? It's, you know, it's... Yeah, well, no, nobody knew that we were creating a phenomenon, but yeah. bearing in mind we we were huge then, and probably the biggest band in mm. Europe, and, and really we'd had tragedy. Yeah. And that tragedy had knocked some wind out of us, you know, because we were all this before that, yeah. right? It was all, eh, come on, feel the noise, you know the kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was all, you know, squeeze me, please me, and all that. Anyway, and so we'd already had tra- two straight to number ones. We're in New York, we're recording it, then we started to overdub the things, then we replaced some of the kit, and then Don plays this shuffle, which is a, a characteristic thing he does on records yeah. with Slay, and that really worked. And he, he wasn't losing it at all. He might be asking you the same question every half an hour, but he, he did it. We completed it, never heard it mixed, you say. Yeah. We did all the backing vocals in the corridor where the office people were coming in. <laughs> And in the middle of summer, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, in the middle of summer. It was 100 degrees outside, <laughs> and they're thinking there's a bunch of lunatics from England singing about Christmas. Yeah. And they're going to work in the offices, you say. And you imagine these buildings in New York. They, they're monsters, these buildings. So we're doing that. Then we leave it, and then we walk away. And we, I think we did one or two shows, you yeah. see. And then we went back to England. Chaz took the tapes and took them to England to work on them with a, uh, an engineer at Olympic Studios where he always be- did Slade Records. And they mixed it, right? And it wasn't until... I don't think we'd even heard it, actually. I think it wasn't until we were in Belgium, right? And we were doing some promotion. And the premise of this song was coming out. And then we got a phone call from the record company. And there's this sort of... Uh-huh, sort of. It sounds a little bit French to me. Like, <laughs> Slade, what a marvellous record, he said. I've just received this record from England, he said. I think it's wonderful. He said, this is just right for, um, for for Belgium, and the fans will love it. Come into the office and we'll have some champagne. Well, this is nine o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> uh, and we just had breakfast. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, uh, and of course, we're quite comical, like, ooh, Let's pop down and have some champagne, don't we? You know, it was a little bit like that. So we yeah. all went in, and we got the wives with us. I got my wife with yeah. me, and, and it because they were with us, you know, was doing the tour, and um, he puts it on, you see, and we're listening, going, oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah. I said we haven't really heard it, you know. It's uh, oh yeah, it sounds pretty good. Champagne, Martin Shannon comes out, you know, glug, 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 bubble wobble. More champagne? Yeah, more champagne. We'll play it again. 
And then, by the time the third time he played it, we were smashed. <laughs> and 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 we're all going, yay! It does sound good. I think you're right. You know, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, of course. And then when we got back to England, obviously we'd spoke to Chaz, and Chaz said, "Phew." <laughs> Radio One's going crazy about it. It was all a bit like that. And the record company's doing their pieces about it. And we got home, and I went up to Solihull, where I lived. And he rung me, Chas, and he said, Are you sitting down, man? I said, What do you mean? He said, Half a million records have gone out today. Wow. Half a million records now. We're keeping the charts for 20 years. Those numbers. Never mind. It sounds crazy, those numbers. You know, now. I, I, and it was like half a million records, you know. It was almost like a firecracker, you know. Mm. It was like, do you know, you cannot stop the river pushing. And it was just something, like a force of nature, that something made a direct connection with the public in 1973 when there were three-day strikes, three-day working hours, strikes, tellies went off at 10 o'clock. Oh, it was grim. People and it was, back, yeah, it, it was probably worse than Brexit, yeah. if it can get much worse than that. Uh, but it was it was that kind of, like, a bit despondent, a bit sort of... And then this record comes out, and it hit the... I think it's because it's so damn British, yeah. and I think it's so in-your-face, not Jingle Bells. It's not about that. It's about exactly what you do at Christmas, yeah. right? The family coming around, the granny... Line about the oh, old it's song, it's, yeah, it's but that's so genius. simple. And Nod actually went down to his dad's council house and had a few beers and wrote those lyrics. Right, that's exactly what happened. He goes there and he writes a lick. I think he had a spontane, spontane, spontaneity moment, <laughs> but he, he wrote the lyrics. I think in a sense of not listening to Jingle Bells or, yeah. or you know, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, because that's that's the idea of the songs. When the the granny said to Nod, or said to Jim, I think it was, no one writes Christmas songs. They're all the same old ones, wonderful as they are, right? Because it used to be all the Ronettes and all them sort oh, of The Ronettes, Phil, Phil Spector yeah. album. Or it was Dean Martin, or it was Bing Crosby. Those were the Christmas songs of yeah. our era. But this was a rock song by a rock band, and and it was like... What is this? And uh, and no other record, even though Roy Wood had got a really good song, which he had, I think he would have been one if ours hadn't have come out. I'm I'm sure of that. But Roy's is very good record. But as the difference between a number two and a number one is vast. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you know that. Yeah. But it's not like oh, there's a few more copies. Your number one? No, there's not. It's like hundreds of thousands yeah. more copies are going. But they run out, typical British, they run out of records, right? And they had to import them from Germany. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, they got the demand. They run out of records. But it was number one, I think, the first two weeks in January. It's still number still one. Still going on. But nobody was thinking the following year or the year after. And, crikey, was anybody thinking of 45 yeah. years later? Oh, it's, it's nuts. You know, people have come and died since those You know, I mean, you know, people have happened and died since those days. Dave, listen, I have to go to the news. Can you stick around? Do you, do you mind sticking around for another 20 minutes? Or have you got to shoot? If you've got to shoot off, you shoot off. Can we have another 15? As long as you get me home. We are getting you a cab, sir. Can we can we keep you till quarter past 11, would you mind? Yeah, as long as I can get back to the hotel about 12. We will, right. You'll be back before oh, yeah. then. Bless you, Dave. Thank you so much. Because I've not asked you about... Um, 
Flame. I've not. We've not talked about your. You know, you talk about mental health a lot in the book. We've got Dave Hill uh, from Slade, brilliant guitarist. The book is uh, so here it is. Um, it's out now in paperback. If you've got the hardback, get this one as well because it's got an extra chapter. Yeah. If you get it from Big Green Bookshop, you can get it signed. You can get it in all the usual places. Well, you can. It's a cracking read. And you can get a silver copy from. It's a spe- silver is the only one in uh, uh, Sainsbury's. Oh, okay. Sainsbury's have got an exclusive. Oh, on this brilliant! Book. So it's in about eighty stores up and down the country oh, then selling the silver version. So they slightly altered it with the name on the top, yeah, and um, and one thing or another. Limited edition. So yeah. guy, honestly, it was make. And I suppose you've noticed the quote from Noel Gallagher. Yeah, I, I want to work. No Slade equals no Oasis. Yeah, that's. I'm not a fan of no. I'm not a fan of Oasis. So maybe we need to yeah. talk about that. <laughs> well, it's it's purely the fact that he said it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't put those words no. in his mouth. Listen, we'll have a quick break. We'll come back in a minute. We've got some more Dave Hill. This is the late night alternative on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Who has made a covenant with the night and with the darkness he is in agreement. Uncut after hours conversation for the up all night generation. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We'll get you talking. What's his name? It's a peak. We're getting, we're getting Dave to do, to do sign stuff for us. That's Christmas sorted. We've got Dave Hill from Slade for another ten minutes or so. The book is brilliant. So here it is. Um, it's his autobiography. Uh, you can get it from Big Green Bookshop. Get it from Amazon. There is a special edition only in Sainsbury's with a silver cover if you want something a bit special. Um, I tell you, the, the, what's really interesting, Dave, you write... This touches on a lot of stuff that I wasn't expecting for you. The first chapter about your mum. God, your mum had a life, didn't she? The stuff she went through, that poor woman mm-hmm. um, with... Uh, the, the uh, your elder sister, you know, the whole thing of having a, a what we used to call an illegitimate baby, a baby out of wedlock, mm. the shame that was kind of the, the, the young women suffered at that point. And you speak very openly about your mum's struggles and your mum's mental health. She was um, she was a remarkable woman, it sounds like, who went through a yeah. lot, didn't she? She struggled a lot. Yeah, she's. Um, it, it's a difficult thing because you. There were incidents at home which were unpleasant. I mean, when I was old enough to notice, that's when I noticed. Yeah. So when you're really young, stuff happens, doesn't it, you know? Um, I found... They found some letters in Dad's council house upstairs, and the letter was Mum writing to her sister. And she was talking about ending it. And I was only one. She said, if it wasn't for David, uh, it was just, she said, sometimes it was just a comment. I'm not saying she meant it, you know, because she'd had me, right, Mm. before she had my sister. But the first time I noticed it was, um, she used to seem to be unhappy when we went on holiday. She was more happy when she was working in the office, as if busyness maybe covered up um, the thoughts of uh, what was really going on. Um, I mean, I'm sure she would have wanted to end the pregnancy of the child out of wedlock, Mm -hmm. I'm sure of that, because of the family she came from, in a sense of high church people. Granddad was the um, organist at the church. Right. 
Um, and a very well-to-do family as well. Yeah, they, I think uh, I think yeah, they got a car. They <laughs> well, they had. I know. I love the fact that that, that they those times. Yeah, that well, no one we had are cars. talking about nineteen twenty thirties. Yeah, yeah. You know, and mom as a child. I don't know exactly what how it was hidden or how it was coped with. All I know is that mom had a or they had a companion uh, for Jean. That's the child. Mm. Um. No one knows who the father is, but we suspect it could be somebody in politics, somebody important maybe she worked for. I don't know. He was certainly married. Mm. There is no nothing on the birth certificate. But if you kind of work it out, you can work it out as you get older because you start to sort of think, oh, I can see now what was going on. Uh, when I went in search of a relation who was the son of my mom's sister, mm. he made a point of saying to me, the pregnancy at that time was absolute taboo. It was bad enough in the 50s mm. to become pregnant and not married. But in the 1920s and 30s, the sin and guilt of punishment was another word that I heard. You know, um, anything that went wrong... I suffer slightly this problem myself, is if you think you do something which you don't think's good, it might reflect an outcome yeah. to something else. Um, for instance, it's almost like you better be good else nothing's going to be good for you. Well, that actually is totally untrue, but unfortunately, when you're depressed, it becomes almost fact to you. Yeah, of course it does. And with Mom... Um, I, I I remember something where I... I think there'd been one or two incidents, but this one in particular, I remember, is I broke a window over the road, mm. threw a brick at some kid, I suppose, and it went in and bust a window. Now, the next thing I know is I'm in bed. Dad's coming home. You know the kind of thing. Your father will be back and all that. And what I don't realise is she puts a scarf around her neck and lies on the floor with an empty bottle of pills. Oh. And it's a whole epic of uh, a drama. I don't know what's going on in the other room, except I hear Dad come in, coming up the stairs, get up, you silly bugger, right? And I'm going, what do you mean, get up, you silly bugger? And there's these pills on the floor. She was looking like she committed suicide, mm. you say. So that's only a, a small part of it, you mm. say. But that you can't sort of figure out how that can be when you've got all... How old were you, sorry, when that when you? When oh, that probably about... Eight, right, nine, so, and so, yeah, young. that's when you start to know, isn't it? That's when you start to... When you're seven, you start to be sensitive to a lot of I things. Right, yeah. The outside world becomes a little bit more scary. Mm. And I think little incidents like that... And she came in one day and stuck a, a diploma on the wall of Grandad's... Because he was a doctor of music, you say, mm. and she put it on the wall and said, he's a good man. Well, he was a good man, and I'm sure he was a good father to my... Mom. But as as the relation said, he said, um, your mom being pregnant at that time was absolute taboo, and it would have actually been a shame. So, sorry, the implication of her putting up that, that certificate, you, you said, mentioned the book, you take that as a criticism of you, saying he, he, this was a good man and you're not. Do you know, I, I, could never, I could never have asked her that question. Yeah. At that age, you can't even reason on it. It was a reflection that she had a problem, mm. and her father was seen as something that was good. 
but she'd done something which wasn't right. good, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, Jean was alive then, you see, and Jean was the daughter. This was your, your older Yeah, she lived sister. just in the flats around the corner, you see. And you guys, never, you guys at the time didn't know about her? Uh, I didn't know quite... Yes, I didn't know... You did at that point, right. I didn't know that it wasn't Dad's daughter. Right, OK, yeah. Right? I didn't know Mum and Dad weren't married either. I didn't know about the fake wedding there. Yeah, fake wedding? Yeah, again, fake... to avoid the Once shame. again, uh, yeah, it was to make an honest woman of her and, and probably make things look right for, for Jean, you know? And they faked it by going to a registry office yeah, with they... friends and family... Going in without them, then coming out saying... Coming out with that. the ring, yeah, and, and going, yes, Edible. this is all fine. Of course, Dad's married, you see, yeah. and his wife won't divorce him, but you won't have his children, are mm. they? So I, I, if you picture the story, almost like um, a, a kind of war drama, where you there's two people, right? Mom's in the office, Dad's on the shop floor. Mm. It's an underground factory, ammunitions factory, I say. I assume Mom's not work, working for the war cabinet minister then. She's working in an office, right? And I guess Mom's fairly pretty. She sees Dad and they meet and... Dad's a bit of dapper guy. You know, he may be a mechanic, but he knows he's how to play. Yeah. And it, he's, something happens there, and it's quite romantic. So I think they're kind of locked together. And bearing in mind, Dad didn't even know Mom had got a child mm-hmm. then, you see. Except that he <clears throat> noticed she keep disappearing to go and make a phone call. And he followed her one day, and so he was ringing because he thought she was having an affair, yeah. which she wasn't. She was ringing her daughter. So that came out. Families are. It's, it's, it's interesting, but I kind of, if you look at the way they make dramas now, you can imagine going back to that time, you know, where I, I remember when Mum went to work, they wore sort of slightly shouldered, shouldery suit-y type. Mum mm. was very smart, going to work, office. She was fine, and we were latch kids, latch dog, you know, the latch, latch kids. kids. Latch, yeah, latch yeah. kids. So therefore, we were at school, we had to go to someone's house until Mum got back from yeah. work. But Mum was OK there, and that was OK. But these incidents were little spots of time in my life where there were indications of something on a deeper level. Yeah. What we didn't know is that that uh, characteristic of something going wrong, I think that the worst thing that really happened was the loss of Jean. Because she died, didn't she? Very young. Yeah, but there's a story behind Jean which also is damaging. Yeah. Um, Jean was born with a Fitz problem. Right. Now... Whether mum attempted to uh, uh, abort the child, I don't know really what happened. Mum might be blaming herself that she's having fits because of something mum did. So I don't know. She's not alive for me to ask her. Yeah. Right? But I'm trying to figure the story in a sense that she was carrying this. So if anything goes wrong at any point, uh, it's, it's connected. Mm. Or it could be. Now, you see a woman on the one end who's teaching the neighbours, you know, I've seen the neighbours and they've done little stories for the book, you know. Oh, your mum was a wonderful woman. She got my daughter a job and teached her to her. You know, she was like that. And she wrote letters for the neighbours to to um, 
to official people. Like she'd make phone calls for them as well because yeah. people didn't know how to use phones. No, they didn't have job. a phone anyway. Yeah, so she would she would yeah. make phone calls because she yeah. knew what to do. I and, love and, that. And so she she's a good she really is a yeah, good woman. She sounds it. And, and and she's a good mom. Yeah. When I got into trouble once because me and my mate got in the school once at night, right? And it's a commonly known story. Yeah. But we we weren't up. We weren't causing damage. We got through the window and went and played football in the gym, you know, yeah. and had a laugh, you see. And then, um, you know, one thing or another, and then somebody else broke in, and something happened before, and then there was a, a police incident and an inquiries, and we got in trouble, see. And, and Mum Mom would... Mum was sharp, you know, and... and sharp, it, can you it. vision this story? Uh, I'm, I'm in senior school, right? And the police come the detectives come and the headmaster has me sat in the room and there are two detectives there right and they're asking me questions right now do you see something wrong there well yeah you're a kid being being interviewed by the police yeah Yeah. mom knew that she spotted it oh yeah she was on to the chief of police (laughs) she said you how dare you interview and, and question my son yeah uh, he's underage for a start. She knew the law because she was she was clever. So she was on it right away. And, and be honest with you, I think that's basically what smoothed it down. Yeah. But she knew the chief of police anyway because yeah. it, it was just a question of a phone call. But she was quite correct. The headmaster of the school, and I won't mention the school. No. I won't mention the school. I think he was going, <laughs> he was going to be moved to a grammar school. And it... He was a strange-looking colour, so I won't tell you who he looked like. We had some jokes about that. And he used to wear, a, <laughs> and, and, and he, he used to wear a cape and walk around like. And he keep fetching me out of class, going, <clears throat> "What's your mother doing?" You know, I thought he was going to whack me. He was terrified. That she, she had him rattled. Yeah, he said, "Your mom, What did your mum say?" I don't know what she said. You know, I don't know the policeman. You know, but it, it was a defining moment in my life. I'd got into trouble, and Mum would probably say... I had to tell Mum and Dad I'd sneaked into a school, right? She says, I said... And Dad goes, what do you mean you sneaked into a school? I said, me and Tony sneaked into a school. He sneaked into a school. He said, yeah, and the police are coming round, round later on. Can you imagine me telling them that? The police are coming round, and Mum's going, and they didn't turn up. Yeah. And, t- and she said, the police, and they've interviewed you. And she was on it. The next day, crows were flying, and... Um, and then eventually it led to us going up to the um, the police place and 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 saying, uh, "Well, have you learnt the lesson, boy? Yes, I've learnt my lesson. I won't do it again. No, I won't do it again. We hadn't done anything that bad, <laughs> but but the point is, it was all part of a syndrome. So, okay, we got over that. Then they come to visit me many le- weeks later, and I was kind of sheepishly going to the door. Hello, <laughs> coming in, and it was a bit sort of like, oh. Your your son, Mrs. Hill, looks like he's changed. You know, <laughs> he's learnt his looks lesson. like he's changed. It's just like I was trying to be a goody goody. But I tell you one thing: my Go mom on. didn't stop me playing with the boy that went yeah. in that school Good. with me because, in a way, we were bored. And yeah. I think when we found something, Music. I found something that worked for me. I focused all all my energy into that guitar, and I think that that was that's been my saviour yeah. through a depression, through stroke. Stroke through, on stage. Stroke on stage. Wow. Um, depression, serious depression I had. See, a lot of people think I don't have a bad day because yeah. I always look happy. I am a happy person. I've got a great wife. I've got five grandkids. I've got a lot, a lot of nice things. 
And people say, oh, I bet you're really rich. And I said, well, actually, I'm not rich in money. I said, I've never earned that much money out of this. I said, but I'm rich in family, and yeah. that's more important. I know, in a sense, and that's what's in the, the yeah. story, he's actually how I look at things in the, in, in the light of all things, yeah. the bigger picture. I mean, I got into Wordsworth yeah. a, a few years ago, and I read a thing called Lines Written Above Tintern Abbey, and it spoke to me about nature and it spoke to me in a different way about how to view maybe what we're doing here, yeah. why are we here, in a sense of not this archetype of sort of, uh, you know, um, not that I don't have faith in God. I'm not saying I don't, uh, I don't disbelieve. Well, you've hinted in the book, like, but, but, you, you've been on kind of a spiritual journey. Yeah, I, I've been looking for... I've been, yeah, I've been, I mean, in in a sense, the music we do... Is, is spiritual as well because I think it's it's uplifting. It does things for people and and it does things for me. And my reaction with the audience, you know, we're doing that gig in London at the Ulu University. I mean, when we play there, there is a spirit taking place yeah, yeah. and a sense of happiness. And and Music they feel that. good. I feel good. We interplay. You see. So actually, even when I was suffering depression. My psychiatrist, who eventually got me well, said, there's one thing you did, and it was a good job he didn't stop doing it, is you dragged yourself on stage mm -hmm. and played. Because when you play and inject endorphins mm -hmm. into you, you're great for that time, but the next day you're back to square one. Dave, we need to let you go, because your missus is going to be know, furious I with know. us. I know, I know. Listen, I, very quickly, just say, I was so pleased as well to see that, that, that Nod, Nod's written the forewords to this. Yeah, you, I, you, you guys all right now? We, we've always been all right. You get kind of comments in every band when bands split up. Oh, oh, they're all arguing. No, we're not all arguing. Basically, not had enough and yeah. wanted to come away from it totally. Yeah. And he's chose his path. My, my thoughts on Nod and Jim, although they're not with me now, is I see Nod frequently. Really right? good. Uh, he comes down to see me and... I did say to him one day when he came down, I said, hey, would you like to do a forward? The book company have asked. And he said, yeah. He said, "Brilliant! I'll write all the jokes about it, you know, or something <laughs> really funny. But actually, he's, he's a, a really think, nice little He's a he's thinking written. man. Yeah, and he went away and he made the comments about the guitar playing. Yeah. And when I offered him the job in the band and three lead guitarists and all that kind of stuff, he mentions that. And obviously, Noel Gallagher's... Uh, the comment is only yeah. because I ran into Noel Gallagher at the airport. Did at you really? Terminal 5. And he just came and he said, uh, I'm a fan. And I said, I'm aware of, aware of that. He said, because uh, I knew he liked How Does It Feel. And yeah. I said, it's a great song. Anyway, they, they'd done Come On Feel the Night. So I was aware of Noel. He's a nice guy. Yeah. And uh, we just exchanged the odd texts on the phone, you see. And then one day I just said, would you like to do a few words about you and Liam growing up? In council houses, watching Top of the Pops. Yeah. And he did. It's precisely Brilliant. what he said. And I didn't tell him what to say. He, he says what he says. Yeah. Uh, no Slade, no Oasis. I mean, I didn't expect that. That's rather nice. That's a great line. But it? it's, it's, it's also... Oh, uh, to Noel, I suppose, what he's saying is that this is the truth. Yeah. This is... It's a bit like what the Beatles did for me, you know. OK, Hank Marvin was everything at one time. But the Beatles, in 1963, and I turn professional, right, and I grow my hair, um, and I feel more confident, 
and mum and dad go, give it a go, son. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. Dave, you've got to go. Jan is listening to and this. And I've got to go. For God's sake. Yes, that's uh, it. This is, listen, the book is a, it's a real joy. Dave Hill, so here it is. Uh, you get it from... Um, Get it from a place you usually get books, Amazon, all those places. If you go to Sainsbury's, was it yeah, Sainsbury's? So it, it, it's in Smith's as well. In Sainsbury's the occasional. Have got the silver cover. It, and the silver cover is a special one for Sainsbury's that wanted an exclusive cover. And it's, honestly, it's a great book. But, but, but it's got an extra chapter about 1973 yeah. and beyond. And I think you might get the way I've been talking tonight, you might get the idea of what it's really all about when you go through the whole lot, is that everybody has problems and everybody has things to share. We're not that far different from each other in life. We all have gifts in different ways and we all do what we do. But basically, we're all serving each other in this life. And if you find something that does some good, as I did, then if you believe in it, do it. I love you, man. I genuinely love you. Thank you so much for the music. Seriously, yeah. thank you. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Wasn't that just? Wasn't that just? Uh, I was wondering why by slave. Oh, flipping heck! I love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> he can talk for England, can't he? Yeah, I've got, got to leave at quarter past 11. Well, then stop talking. Oh, thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just um, an absolute joy. We've got another interview coming up before the end of the show. We've got an interview that I did the other day with the director of the new documentary, Three Identical Strangers, which um, I think opened today in the cinema. And it's a great film. It's on a par. You know, we've been raving about the Mr. Rogers film. It's on a par with the Mr. Rogers film. I saw the trailer. I linked the two together because I saw the trailer for Three Identical Strangers when I was watching Won't You Be My Neighbour in New York. And it's a great film. It's such a... It's an incredible story. And I, I got to meet the um, uh, the guy that directed it. And it turns out I worked with him years ago. He was a runner on uh, a show I did. So we'll play that. I need to get Kath to edit it, by the way. So it's here if anyone wants it. Um... And, um, oh, man, Dave here. We've got all our signed stuff. <laughs> we all Dave, could you sign this, please? It's for me dad. It's for me mum. Oh, great. Absolutely brilliant. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, okay, I've got to get, do two more ad breaks, have I, Sam? We've got to do a little bit of business. We'll do some business. Um, well, let's set up the stall, shall we? Always strange to... And thank you for all your nice tweets. Thank you, Paul Ross. Uh, and thank you, everyone who was tweeting, saying, I love that, I love that. Well, I mean, just... Just great. And the thing is, as well, it's so easy to look at Slade as kind of a joke band because of the Christmas song, because of the the costumes and the outfits and Noddy's uh, sideburns and Dave's, you know, haircut and all of that. But actually, if you get past the look, dig into some of those albums, man alive, uh, uh, some great stuff. We didn't even talk about Slade in Flame, which is a masterpiece of a movie. It's A Hard Day's Night meets Kez. Um, and it's my favourite Slade album. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll go and get the book. Is all I'll say. Hang on a minute. Cass coming back in the Cass coming back in the uh, the room. Flipping it, Boyley. Well, that's something. That was everything we hoped it would be. No, it wasn't. It was infinitely better. No. It was infinitely. What? What a, what a nice guy. What a great storyteller. What a great storyteller. And um, he told us a lot of stuff that isn't in the book. We got some of the book. He told us a lot of stuff that isn't in the book as well. But what a nice guy. Yeah. And um, and he genuinely enjoyed it. Did he? Yeah, and he oh, enjoys... Wicked. We were talking about it. He went, I can't just tell you a story like flat. I have to, tell, I have to put all the colours in. <laughs> but what's great as well is I really wanted him to know that um, no one ever mentions his guitar playing. No one. He never gets a mention for guitar playing. It's all Noddy's vo- vocals and, 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 and Jim and Nod's songwriting and the guitar player never gets a look in and I think it should because I think he's brilliant I think he created a huge fat stomping sound that no one had really done before and no one's quite got since Oasis have had a go at it and they they, they can't do it um a few bands have, have, have tried to, he's got a unique guitar sound and he he never he never gets pulled out as being a great guitarist and he should you know, it's because of the haircut, it's because of the costumes. Um, he gets overlooked, as, and he is one of rock's great guitarists. It's because I, I think also, if what you're seen to do, be doing is fun, yeah, people well, think that it's, you know, you, well, you're not serious. But actually, that's the tip of the iceberg, the fun stuff from Slade. Just getting a hard one out, hang on. Big pun. Yeah, it's getting a hard... Uh... Uh, plecky. How plecky. I didn't, I, I didn't get him to play the guitar, but I, th- that doesn't matter, guys, because... Hang on, oh, hang no, on. we've... Hang on, are we in tune? And you didn't tell him any of your lyrics. Yeah, well, we missed an opportunity there, but... Catherine Boyle Getting on my tits all day You've been getting on my tits You wish. Catherine Boyle 
You've been annoying me all day. Please go away. Go away today. What do you think you are doing? You are doing something annoying. I'm so cool. Oh. I'm the coolest guy I know. I'm really, really cool. I'm so bloody cool. You sound like Donald Trump. Sorry? Hmm? Cool guys don't have to say they're cool. Yes, well, they don't have to. They don't have to, but I, cho- I chose to. Uh. Give me a song and I'll play it. Name any song and I'll play it. No one's going to call in now. Can three, we have four, the four. Act- By the way, that's the end of the show. I better go and do that then. Well, give me, give me a song and I'll do, give me a song to do first, and I'll do it. Um, can we have Stairway to Heaven? I'll piss off, idiot! Get out of my studio. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take requests tonight, guys. The guitar is here. I request the... you don't play the. I request you, you. Um, uh, let me think of something funny. Hang on, don't go. I'm going to think of something oh, funny oh, to oh, say. No. Um, hang on, I'm going to think of something funny. Um, I request you get. No, she's gone. I was trying. To... I thought it was something funny. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Take it easy, Sam. Calls are going straight to air now. Calls are going to go straight to air for the next hour or so because that's the kind of vibe that we are. Kind of vibe we're going for tonight. That laid back kind of vibe. So, seven second delay, dear listener. So, uh, don't swear. Don't be libelous. Because if you do, if you are, it will get dumped. It will not get broadcast. But you can now phone in for the next hour at least about absolutely anything you want. The phone number is 0344-499-1000. Anything goes. 0344 Four nine nine one thousand. This is the late night alternative. Weeknights from ten on Talk Radio. The late night alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand for the next hour or so. It's just well, it's me in the studio for a bit. On my own, Kath will join me in a, in a little while. I have a guitar with me. I have I have talent. I have fingers. I have lyrics, and I have your calls coming straight to air. It goes like this: I give out the phone number oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. I see you flash up on my screen, and I go, "Hello, line one. You're on the wireless." Oh, God. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. Oh, that's what I wanted to say, mate. I enjoyed that interview you did there. Thank you very much. It was good, wasn't I'll be it, Dave? You, like, I'm not a massive fan of your show, but I enjoyed that. Um, oh. I enjoyed that in- interview. It was really interesting. Well, thank you. For- I'm glad you stuck with it, even though you're not a massive fan of the show. I wouldn't listen to this rubbish normally, but if it was Dave Hill, I would listen. So thank you, man. I appreciate that. Cheers, Ian. Thanks, Cheers. mate. Tutty bye. But tutty bye. Uh, good evening, line two. You're on the wireless. I love Kat. She's amazing. She's amazing. Kat's amazing. Troll. 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 You're a troll. You're a troll. You're a troll. You're a troll. Goodbye, troll. Goodbye, troll. Goodbye, troll. Oh, troll. We're trolls. Hello, line two. You're on. Uh, line three, excuse me. You're on the wireless. Greetings, music lovers. Right, not off. All right. Hi. How's it going, man? Hello? Yeah, hello. That was, uh, what was, who was that supposed Anybody to be? Anybody there? Oh, it's, it's, oh it's, uh, I just, I've just realised who it is. Because you've not phoned in for ages, it still says Dr. Edge. Thank you. You're yeah, very welcome. You've got, got, you got a bit of a cold? Uh, only a bit of one. OK, well, where's the rest not, of not it? The full, not the full shilling, not the full shilling. You're not exactly. You're, okay. uh, did, you, did, you, did you listen to Dave Hill? Yeah, man, yeah. He's good, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I think you were speaking too much, personally. Oh, I, I couldn't get a word word in edgeways. Got my copy <laughs> of one in. Got my copy of Slade in Flames signed. Thank you very much indeed, dear listener. So what? What? What is that? I mean, I've never seen that. Right. So oh. what is that about? Oh, what's all that about? Dredge, you've got to watch it. It's genuinely brilliant. It's a hard day's night meets Kez. It is hard day's night in the seventies, but if but done in a really really bleak, uncompromising. <laughs> Dark grey manner with Slade's best songs in it. It's 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 uh, it's it's remarkable. It's written by Jane Birkin's brother, bizarrely, um, and it's it's um, I, I I can't believe you've never seen it. I'm genuinely shocked. But why is it bleak? Because that is not what you no. associate with Slade. I know exactly. And, and, and they made this film, and they they had like a premiere, and all the critics went, um. Are you sure you guys have made the right movie? And it, 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 it kind of it was the start of the beginning of the end. It's almost like their head in that it was not what the fans expected. I don't think it did that well, actually, even though the soundtrack's got um, How Does It Feel and um, Far, Far Away and, you know, great songs like that. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's sort of, I tell you what it's like, put it in context. You know the David Essex film, That'll Be the Day? Yeah. It's yeah. that kind of vibe, but with Slade in. Right. And I, I think I read somewhere it's about their problems with, like, the music business and getting ripped off and things like that. Yeah, it's very, very loosely autobiographical. There are a few things in there, like they get sold by their agent to another agent, and that actually happened. Um, but So there are a few things in there. But um, it's funny, man, and it's I always like seeing non-acting musicians... Acting, I lo- I love it. It's a it's it's a really funny film. That it it's kind of like Head in some ways, in that it's looking at exploitation and um you know the music industry and and you're right being ripped off and uh, you know being product. Tommy Vance is in it as well. What acting in it or, or as himself? I, I think, not I think as, he, uh, you I, know an old woman or something. I don't know if he plays. Um, yeah, he's not. He's not doing a tootsie. Hang on, Slade. Flame, Tommy Vance. Let's see if we can find the Tommy Vance. Uh, here we go, here we go. This is the scene with Tommy Vance. Here we go. Hang on. Here we go. It's not a silent film, is it? There's not a lot happening at the moment. Hello. Okay. Here we go. Tom Conti comes in. Here we go. Last we meet. This is Robert Seymour. I take it Tony's explained what we have in mind. Hang on, let me jump forward a bit. Here we go. Let's jump to Tommy Vance. Vance. The winds are north to northeast, and that's the Radio City weather. You're listening to the Ricky Storm Show on Radio City, and as every time, every time we give you the sounds first, we've got a brand coming up at the station this afternoon by the name of Flame. You're going to hear them absolutely talking live on the air, but here's their new record called So Far, So Good. On it goes. That's Tommy Vance. Yeah, it's nice to hear his voice. It what, is. Watch, yeah. watch it. Uh, I, um, I'd be keen to hear your your thoughts. And as long as your thoughts are positive, then you can still phone in this show. The other thing, just before I go, is what's happening with the logbook and things like that. Can I uh, can I do something in the logbook? What's happening about that whole shenanigans? Right. Well, one of them is is with a, an eleven year old girl in America. Okay, so I might not get that one by Christmas then. Uh, no, I have the other one, but I'm waiting. We were so let down by people, including this 11-year-old girl and Lou in Ireland, that, who begged and begged and begged for it and had it for three months. So I'm waiting for the, the other logbook to return, and then I, I plan... The plan is to then burn them. 
Okay, that's put me off doing it a little bit. In the same way that KLF burnt a million pounds, I want to burn <laughs> these books without anyone ever actually reading them because it's been such an absolute pig in nightmare to to get what should have been a what should have been a really simple concept of we send out a book and then people write in it and then we and then we, then we had that the, the Scottish fellow who, who kind of kept it for ages so we had to buy a second one and then we had a fellow who kept the second one ransom because he didn't like the way Scott Balcony treated him at Balcony shirts and then we had Lou begged and begged and begged and she was rubbish and then we got this this girl in America who's not oh it's a nightmare so, okay, so, well, thank you for letting me know. Thank you for letting me know that. Thanks for listening and paying attention and being aware of that. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. This is Talk Radio. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. I want to make love to you tonight. I'm feeling all right. I want to make love to you tonight. I'm feeling up for a beat. Make it all about making love to you. I wanna make love to you. You are the prettiest thing I've seen today. You tell me to put it away, yeah, girl. Don't tell me to put it away. I wanna get on top of you and do it to you. It's a love song. Uh, well, love I song. mean, it's not really, is it? It's, it's more of a push and shove song. It's a love song. Uh, call straight to air, because that's the kind of guys we are. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand line five. You're on the wireless. Hello, Alistair here. Hello, Alistair. Let me just run the old. Um, would you mind blowing into this bag for me, please, sir? Yeah. Away you go. Here we go. Uh, you ready? Give it a nice deep blow until. <laughs> Keep blowing, sir. Keep blowing, sir. Keep blowing, sir. Keep blowing, sir. Oh, hang on, let me, let me look at it. Oh, good, good blowing action. Could write a song about that in a minute. Don't. Um, oh, hey, congratulations, Alistair. You've passed the sobriety test. Welcome back. I'm not under the ring today, so... Yeah, well done, fella. How are you feeling? Rough? Uh, yeah, but, you know, it's little steps, isn't it? And I've just got to um, do the same tomorrow, and then hopefully we'll be... Uh... Exactamundo. All happy and goodly. Yeah, that'll so. be it. It'll be fine. You'll be all done then. You'll be sorted. Um, good to hear you back, brother. We prefer this guy. We don't like yeah. the other guy so much. We like this guy. Yeah. Did you and hear... I managed to get oh, um, yes. a copy of Let It Be, the film. Um, oh, a hooky copy. less than ten quid. Well, it must be hooky because they've not officially really... Oh, I've just reminded. we got loads of food out there. Well. Someone's thrown it away? No. Have you... I've had mine. Well, can I... What? It's like you were busy. I'm busy, but I'll eat. I'm starving. We it's got, still warm. We got. We ordered food, Alistair, right? Because we were out. We went and watched a really good film called Shoplifters. It's a Japanese film, right? We had a busy day. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen it reviewed today. On it's, it's yeah. It's, it's 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 a bit bleak, but it was good, right? And then we got in late, yeah. and we were hungry, so we ordered some food. And just as the food arrived, Dave arrived, and we didn't want to eat in front of him. That would have been rude, you know. So we've not eaten, and I've just been reminded of it. So I'm going to eat while I'm talking to you. I hope that's okay. Uh, carry on. Thank, well, it's, it's not arrived yet. I'm waiting for my delivery. My delivery 
rider. You shouldn't to... go hungry, though. You shouldn't go hungry, Alistair. No! And in this world of plenty! plenty. But, I mean, the thing about... The, the, when I looked on Amazon, which is a ridiculous company, they were selling Let It Be. Yeah. Special collector's edition or something for about 45 quid or something. What, the, the film? And I thought... The film, yeah. And I thought, I'm not paying that. I but mean, I'm sure I could find we... it on eBay. Hang, and on, did. hang on, where did you see a special... The, the special... It's not been officially released, so it must have been a hooky version. I don't know. It's, it's on Amazon anyway. But, yeah, well, uh, the ones on Amazon are like hooky. I, say, I, found, I found one on <sighs> eBay for nine quid. Did you just bur- belch, Catherine? No, I went, oof! Right. It, it's not... It's not officially been released, so that's okay. All right, here's my thinking. They're going to release it that next year. They'll release an yeah. Abbey Road six-disc box set. The year after that, they'll finally officially release Let It Be by the Beatles. All right. But anyway, well, thanks for all your help this weekend. You have been very helpful. I I, no. I'm, I'm always appreciative. Brother, I haven't done anything. You're doing this yourself. I mean, you can do this yourself. All right, man, listen, have a good weekend. And you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, food. I thought he was going to talk for a little bit longer about the mouthful of food. Hello, line two. Hello? Hello, line two. Hello. You're on the air. Hello? <laughs> you're... you're on the air as well. Those balls dropped pretty quickly, didn't they? Hello, line two. Hello, Ian. Ian. This is my daughter's meant to be on. She just handed me the phone. Right. Okay. Well, that's great news. What? What? what it's who's mate? McGregor. You what? His daughter. Oh, your daughter. You, your daughter's called McGregor. <laughs> what? What? No, the... She's called Tony. Now he's getting crazy. And how old is Tony? Nineteen. Okay. I just tweeted. He's asking you to be nice to her. Well, she... I would have been nice to her if she hadn't bought a, um, got her dad to, to um, tweet me to ask me to be nice to her. And B, she hadn't bottled out. What the, what the hell is going on in your household? I don't know. No, no, no. Okay. Ian? Yes? Oh, here we go. Alan, Alan, my 19-year-old daughter is ringing you now. Please be nice. Is that her in the picture with you? And you're... Yes, yes. And you're well, both doing... Her about ten years ago. Shut up, man. She's not nine in that picture. What age were you in that picture on... She's got a leopard skin print on and you're both pointing to your mouths. <laughs> Why are you getting drunk with your daughter? You should be setting an example to her. You should be setting an example to her. Why are you getting drunk with your child? You're underage. She shouldn't even be drinking. Why are you getting her drunk? Why? No, the drinking age is 32. We know that. Why are you forcing her to get drunk, sir? I'm calling the Soch. We're calling the Soch. I didn't force her. We, you did, you put, I, she told me what happened. You tied her and you um, got one of those funnels and you poured tequila slammers down her throat. You, you got your daughter drunk just so you'd look cool with all the other parents. Well, it doesn't wash with me, Daddy-o. You're going to go to prison and she's going to go into care. Yeah, good, cry, cry. You're right to cry. Parents like that make me sick. And they make the kids sick, actually, so don't do it. Good evening, line six, you're on the wireless. Hello. Hello there. It's Michael from a few Fridays ago. Ah, I've I've been there, yes. What can we do for you? <laughs> it's a great place to visit. I wouldn't want to live there. What can we do for you, Michael? 
Um, Fight? I, I just called up again, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was just chat, you know, I'd just call back up. Okay, cool. Well, what, so, what, anything you want to say? Anything particular? Because I'm, I'm happy to chat, but for the Chattanooga choo-choo to leave the station, it needs to be fuelled by Convo. He wants you to stoke his boiler. Steady on, mate. <laughs> um, <laughs> a bit of a silly mood today, both of us. I'm going to be honest, Michael. I'm overtired, mate. We are in a silly mood. Um, were you watching... I'm a celebrity this year. Nope, not watching any of it. Not watched a single bit of it. Why not? Um, because I feel weird. I've talked about it quite a bit. I feel weird. Um, did you have the sweet and sour or the black beans? I don't know. Black beans, I think. Um, but just because I feel weird about what? it being on. It feels like it's like my girlfriend is going out with Nick Knowles and no one wants that. Oh. Are you watching it? Um, uh, yeah. Are, um, you, are you enjoying it? I... I think it's very good. I like um, Anne Hegarty on it, and I think she's great. I think she is so, great. She's good. I like her a lot. Um, yeah, you were on the chase. Yeah, I was on the chase. I was on the chase, and I got through to the final. I, I was... Um, let's be honest, guys, and we can say this now. I was the only good one out of the four of them. Shappy was lousy, Jenny was awful, and Stanley was a knob. Stanley was barely there, was he? Yeah, it was, Stanley was there physically, but I think he, I think he left his brain somewhere. Nobody's hearing aids in. No... Um, so, yeah, I was the best one out of all of them. I think you'd agree, wouldn't you, Michael? Yeah, um, and you got 17 or something out of them, yeah. I did, I did, yeah. Pretty much on my, I think I got 15 or 16 of those 17. I'm a human, um, I'm a human being. (laughs) I'm a human knowledge machine. Oh, right. Yeah, the H-N-M, the human knowledge machine. Right. Okay, all right, yeah, okay. All right, Michael, thanks for the call, man. Let's go. I want to get one more in before the news. Pudang. <laughs> pudang? A pudding. Oh, pudang is like a, a pooty tang. Is it? Yeah, pudang. <laughs> um, hello, Line 7, you're on the wireless. Hello. Hello, pudang. Pudang. You pudang. Speak! Yeah, I'm speaking. No, you're not. Let's go to Line 8. Line 8, you're on the wireless. Hello. Hello, Line 8. You're on the air. Hi, my dad just rang Oh, there. God, listen. Um, Tony, for God's sake. Tony is a... Dis- yeah. Listen, not all dads are like that. He's a disgusting human being. You are underage and he should not be plying you with alcohol. And don't worry, we're going to put you at the talk radio orphanage, OK? It's run by the same people yeah. who do the dating okay? service, so be careful. We're just triangulating your frequency and we'll have the people around any minute. Pack a bag. Don't you panic, young lady. We can sort this and we're going to have your father assassinated. <laughs> I feel like a flipping child line. Never mind. Well... Or whatever. Exactly. What are you doing getting drunk with your old man? That's weird. Okay, I love him. He's my best friend. Yeah, because you're drunk. Aww. It's not so nice. No okay. idea. All right. Well, listen, thanks for calling. Right. <laughs> no, sir. I don't know. Oh, you're still on. Did you? No, they're set. we're still on. Right. Hello? I can't know if I'm here or Hello? He does that sometimes. He'll probably put another colour on. What do you mean? 
Well, that was fun. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk.
great song, 1991. Slade is a big old flop, that one. And it sh- it's, uh, it's just an incredible, incredible song. I love it. Um, 0344 We'll put the Dave Hill uh, interview out as a podcast on Monday. Um, thank you very much. I, should have, I didn't say on air you could have gone to the... I just tweeted the link. You could have watched it live, but I forgot to mention it on air. Come on, idiot. Here go. Um, yes. So we've got to play the interview with the director of Three Identical Strangers, whose name escapes me. I forgot, I forgot the guy. I went Gosh. And, I went and met the guy, and I forgot his name. We're going to play that before the end of the show. I'm going to say it's Tim Werthers. Tim Werthers. Tim Wardle. Oh, it was, I was not, it was not bad, actually. He's a really nice guy, actually. It's a, really, it's a great film. Such a good film. I thoroughly recommend it. Taking calls straight to, to air until then. 0344 Don't swear. Don't be libelous, because I've got a dump button. Um, the way it works, I will see your name or your number flash up on my screen. I click a button and go, hello, line one. You are on the wireless. Hello. Um, is this Listen to Me radio or talk radio? Because... All I'm hearing is, listen to me, really. I'll tell you what it isn't. It isn't Stan Comes On for much longer radio. Oh, right. So it's, it's definitely a listen to me radio. Stan, why, you be, why are you being a, why are you morning, being a bellend? Good morning. Julie, Julie Hartley. Br- What's his problem? What's his problem, dude? Guess what? What do you mean, listen to me? What are you talking about? We had Dave Hill in for an hour and a quarter. I hardly said anything. And we had eight calls in the last hour. What are you talking about, you muppet? Yeah. I'm going to come right, to Burnley. I'm going to punch. Up it. Yeah, I'm... have you listened to Julie Hartley Brewer's program in the morning? How no, many callers no, get in? How many no, callers? Oh, jeez. Why have you got beef with Julia and you're Hang bringing on. it here? Hang on. He, he's not on the air at the moment. Stan, I'll let you come back on in a minute, mate, right? I have no. No, I don't listen to Julia's show. You know why? I'm asleep. I am asleep then, or I'm on Good Morning Britain. Listen, you want to come on and criticise this show? Please feel free to, because I can talk about this show and I can listen and go, well, maybe we can do this, or maybe you're wrong. I have got zero input on to who he's talking to. He's, he's, Stan, they can't hear you, mate. You're not on the air at the moment, all right? Just calm down. So, Stan has got the manners of a dog turd. He's got, he's got the, the manners of a fart in a cathedral. Let's see if... Um, yeah. right, in, in, he's still going. Right. Yeah, he's got can a I muppet. make a technical point, Stan, if you're listening, if you can hear over your own voice? When you're speaking and then Ian speaks... Ian's voice cancels yours out, so trying to steamroller your way through is not going to work. Let's try. Let's try Stan again. Let's see if Stan is paying attention. Radio, is it? Here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we go. Stan's a bellend. Stan's a bellend. Stan is a big bell. Let's see if he's um, he's hung up. That... You don't want to hear. Oh, yeah. oh, go on. I can play along with that. Go on. Right. I'm just you don't want to hear me. We've heard that bit. Fast forward. Let's hear the point. Get to the point, boy. Get to the point, boy, before I come the to Burnley is... and I punch you in the nose. Yeah. Yeah? yeah of course you would. I will, I will come um... to Burnley right now. Uh, sorry, after the show. I've got nothing to do tomorrow. I'll come to... I will drive to Burnley <laughs> and I will punch you in the nose. Yeah, of course you would. Yo, yo, oh, whoa, 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 that's fighting talk. Yes, I will come, I will come. I don't listen to her show! I'm asleep! I do a late night show and I'm asleep, you idiot! I have nothing to do with Julia Hartley Brewer's show! Phone her up and complain to her! Not me! Well, you can't get through when you do in the morning, can you? Because it's. I don't know, because I don't phone up. I didn't. on the radio. I, I. Absolute. You, you are. 
Stan's a bell cheese. Stan is a bell cheese. The rudest caller I've ever had the misfortune to talk over. Stan's a bell cheese. You ain't got a point to prove. You've got nothing to say, because... Listen, OK, there you go. Stan, listen. Again, you're off the air now. Listen, I'll play along with you, mate, but just watch your language, all right? Just just watch your language. We let the W go, but the rest of it is getting a little bit firm. I'll put you back on, but you've just just got to watch... Stan, we can't hear you. I've taken you off the air I will put you back on but you gotta make sure you don't swear and so bob on that you can't hear me and just so scared to talk to me I'm not scared to talk to you I just don't want you swearing on my I'm not scared to talk to a man I'm gonna punch in the nose Gonna get in my car after the show Drive to Burnley and punch you in the nose Then I'm getting out my nunchuckers Use them on thick silly people Gonna kick your ass, gonna kick it so hard Stan's going down in his yard Yes, Stan, I'm gonna hit you again Stan, you are a massive ballad Hello, Stan um, Hello, Stan Do you really think that's good radio? I think you really be- think that works? I think, I think it's better than <laughs> you point across. I tell you what, Stan, listen You don't like... You don't like the moron or you're the moron You're, you you're, you're the moron play your shitty little songs over my voice my songs are not shitty, I think they're clever, ooh, I think they're quite witty. But you are a knobber, you will not shut up your gob. Uh, hmm? Now, Stan, I can't hear you. Stan, listen, I, I want to talk to you, brother. I want to, I want to, I want to, someone making Stan so angry. Stan, you can come back on. You shut up! You shut up, I... Hello, Stan. Shit. Oh, Stan. <laughs> I know. You, I know you are, Stan. But what am I, Stan? You can come on, but just watch your language, buddy. Just watch your language, all right? Just come on, watch your language. And I tell you what, Stan. Um, what? You, you, they can't. You're not on the air, mate. I tell you what. You don't like Julia's show. You don't like my show. So, you obviously know what you do like. You're obviously a trained producer. So why don't you come on and tell us how you would make this show better? But without your indoor language, if you swear one more time, I will let you go. Okay, so come on, and don't swear, and tell us how you make this show better. Stan, over to you, brother. Well, first thing I'd do, I'd listen to the caller. Okay, I'm listening. Right, I'm curious. Yeah. What's it's the called, second? What's the second thing radio. you do? I'd say it's called talk radio. Instead of listen to me radio, you've done that four times. Let's get onto some new material now, Stan, if you can. We don't like repetition on talk to me radio. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like answering questions either, do you? You haven't asked me a question. I'll ask you a question. It's called Talk Radio, but it yeah. sounds to me like it's Listen to Me Radio. Okay, so that's all you've done. You've played over okay. me, over me. What's the, you, what's the question? Little song. What's the question? You the haven't question asked a question is, yet. Go and ask me a question. Right, my, 
Right. Without swearing, if you can, which I think is tricky because you think. I can easily do that. Mate. Okay, have a go. My question is: Yes, sir. Talk radio. Yes. How come in the morning? Yes. There's nobody gets to ring in on the radio. Have you tried to ring in? Many times. Okay. Well, maybe they don't want you because you're quite dull and rude. I don't know. Maybe. Do you really think that, or do you think it's maybe they're scared of what I've got to say? What? Well, tell you what. You tell me what you've got to say, because I'm not scared oh. of it. I'll listen to it. Go on. Right in the morning. No, it's all about Brexit. Right. Okay. My, my answer is oh, your answer. There you go again. You said your answer. Oh, sorry. So I thought you were going to say uh, play another silly song. No, I'm just singing, um, doing some chords. I thought you were going to speak English. But go on. Your answer is. I think I think I'm in the wrong program, aren't I? Because this is just like a moron program. Obviously, you haven't got a brain cell because. What is your answer? We're waiting. I'm waiting for your answer that you keep on hinting. You got your answer, tease. Please give me your answer. Oh, thanks very much for your call, Stan. That's why they don't answer your calls. Because you've <laughs> got a party mouth. Let's have a break. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. I've, I've got a very poor internet connection. On Talk Radio. It's a show for morons. <laughs> Sadly, he, he didn't fit in. <laughs> Do you think it would be made for him? But Stan's point was... Is it, so, so Can't his, speak to Julia. So his question was, why is it um, called talk, talk Radio when it should be Listen to Me Radio? OK, well, what, what, how would you improve it? Well, by not... I don't, I don't even understand what was going on. Someone hurts, hurts Stan. He's uh, taking it out on... The dear listener, to be honest, has suffered there enough. We now we're going to play a song now. Oh, that was nice. I've got some chops in the fridge at home. Why? So you're off the meat. It's the weekend. I'm gonna be stuffing my face with oh. sausages, sausages, sausages. <laughs> Here's Grain Chill. There was a slight look of panic on your face as you started that run. Grain Chill. Oh. Nice attempt at the uh, hill wobble. Yeah. <sighs> I don't feel I'm getting... I tell you, I do, I've got my songbook here. Oh, good. Sorry? <clears throat> Can I read one out? No, 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 no. Go on, let me. Uh, no. Let me, go on. No, no, no. Go no. on, let me. No, I'm not go going on, to. let me. No, because you're let just taking the mic. Let me. Yeah, well, well yeah, I'm going to take the mic anyway. Let me, go on. Let me read that one in red pen. That is a monkey song, so I can't play that. Some of them are songs we used to, I used to do when I was busking. Um, Took so long. There you go. I remember this one. There it is. <clears throat> oh, God. You're going to laugh at me, so no, I'm not going to do it. The chorus went like this. What's a D minor? Yeah. That's a D, that's a seventh. And it took so long to get here I never thought we... can't remember what a D minor is. Oh, well. Hey, you play a bit. You can play guitar. No. Come on, you can no, play guitar. No, my nails are too long. Oh, don't be such a... Listen, my nails are too long, but I still play. I play for the fans. Do you have a No. Yes, you do. You're getting a little bit. Um... I was just trying to remember what shape a D minor was. There we go. This is this is this is this is this is great music. This is great music. 
I've got a numb finger because of a, uh, an illness. Hang on. There we go. Oh. Face at me, please. You ready? <laughs> yeah, I said it's so. Where's the tune? Yeah, yeah I na, said na, it's na, so. Na, I won't forget all the times I waited patiently for you. Oh, God, we've become those people who bring a guitar to a party and do Wonderwall. Stop! Okay, how does Wonderwall go? No. I said maybe. Uh, Do free bird. Do you ever understand how my garden goes? Garden gnome. <laughs> Call straight to air. 0344 499 is the telephone number. Yes, line one, you're on the wireless. Hello, is that me? Yes. <laughs> By the way, Stan, hey, this um... could be you, but you hating. Yeah, it's not Stan, it's Lou. I know, I'm just I'm talking to Stan, who, of course, won't be listening. <laughs> um, listen, I've just got two questions for you guys, if that's OK. If the questions are, why can't why doesn't Julia Hartley Brewer take phone calls, then I don't know. Mm-hmm. And what's Stan's problem? We also don't know. Sorry, my Stan's about to call in and again in a second. Great, come on, chop, chop, okay. quick, quick, chop, 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 chop. No, um, I was just wondering if um, maybe I've missed it earlier on in the show, but if um, Laura from last night... No, we have not heard from Laura and uh, about her niece Jade, and I've been looking online and there's still no news. This was the young lady, uh, the 19-year-old uh, girl who's um, who went missing on Wednesday. In Vanessa. Uh, yeah. And Laura's not called back in, and I'm looking online and the, the, the story the story was, was reposted on a news website about six hours ago. There has been no update. Um, so I'm really yeah. got my fingers crossed that over the weekend there is some really really good news because obviously the yeah I looked on online as well and you know I hadn't seen anything so yep. I just I thought I would ask. Yep. Um, the second one is just for yourself, Ian. Um, yes. Just wondering, have you had a chance to look through your retro gamer magazines yet? No, not um, yet. But thank you for putting me in touch. Like to... Thank you for putting me in touch. The gentleman sold to me. No, they've. I, got, I bought a load of retro gamer magazines from a friend of Lou's. Um, and uh, I got, got sent to me the other day, and they are um, in my office, and they I've not unpacked them yet because I've not really been back home much at the moment. But I will unpack them probably over Christmas. So it's going to be one of those things I'm going to have, take a delicious afternoon unpacking them, flicking through them, getting some great memories, and then putting them on my shelves. And um, they, they're, they're going to they're going to get well used, and they're going to be passed down to my boys when I die. Will it be weird looking through them again and, no. you know, seeing your past work? No, it won't be weird, no. Good memories, though? Oh, good, good memories. I loved it. It's a great magazine. I enjoyed writing for it, and I, I think I wrote some funny stuff. Uh, thank you, Louise. Let's go to line five. Line five, you're on the wireless. Hello, line five. This is the show for morons. Can you hear us? Hello, hello. Are there any morons there? Oh, I'm sorry, Stan. You're too slow. Let's go to line six. Six, you're on the... Oh. Here we go. We're in. Yes, brother. What? Collaborating with you. What key are you in? What key? What? What key? 
Jeez. What key... What key are you... What... playing in B. That's not a very friendly... OK, we're in B. One, two, three, four. Yeah! Whoa! Making love in the afternoon is Seeing you naked on the kitchen table Better do it quick, cause the kids are coming home I don't want them to see us having it off Thanks, sir, man, I enjoyed that, that was great, it was a great jam, it's just a little jam there um, Even um, even Grumpy Cat was getting involved there Grumpy Cat, flip, because you know Grumpy Cat, you know Grumpy Cat? Yeah It's huge Huge has has over twelve billion uh, followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Grumpy Kath, because we've got the 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 bare necessities. That we've got the the the, the raw model. You because you're called Kath, and you're grumpy. Um, and um, we can make millions. I can make millions out of uh, this. Let's go. Let's let's go to line five. See what line five says. Hello, line five. Hello there. Um, I'm interested in. Um Telling um, Ian what uh, the D minor is because uh, yes, uh, you're speaking to Ian James. Tell me the D minor. D minor. All you've got to do is play your own, the, the D chord, but, but take the, invert the um, the thing so that the uh, you're, you're playing the, the same as a D chord. But hello, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, you want the the, the, to cover the, the first string on the first fret. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm playing it. What? Oh, hang on, that. That's it. And That's it took it. so long to get here. I never thought we could. Yeah. yeah. I got it. Thank you, brother. I, this is it. I'm ready to jam. I'm You've ready unleashed to... unleash the beast. Thanks I'm ready so to rock and roll. Hello, Line 4. Welcome to Moron Radio. Can we help you? I don't think you can. No, we can't because you're too drunk. Oh, and I dumped you. Don't know why I dumped you. You stay on the line, buddy. We'll come to you. We'll come to you later. I'm deeply deep about your fanny pack. What? I want to tap, tap into your fanny pack. I'm deeply deep about the friends you got. Hot to trot, I'm hot to trot with the friends you got. I'm deeply, 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 let's have some sex. I don't actually know that song very well. Really? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, name a song, any song, name a song. Name a song. Mm. Look at that photograph. Remember when it made you laugh? Nickelback. Remember when we took that picture? We were so high in the bath. We were getting stoned on drugs. We are Nickelback and we're writing songs about a photograph. Do, um, what was the other Nickelback one? A photograph taken by Nickelback. Do, wrong star. Um, look at me, I'm a rock star getting stoned in. 
in a bath. We are rock stars. We are Nickelback. It sounded like the first one, but they, they okay. were quite samey, weren't here's they? Here's a song. Here's a song for you. Here's a song. You'll like this song. <laughs> oh, careful. Stan, you'll, Stan, you'll like this song. You ready? Stan? Well, I'm not Stan. Yeah, yes, you are. You are. <laughs> Trust me. You are. Here we go. Because of this. You know this song? Sing along. Don't know it. And saying I love you <laughs> is not the words I want to hear from you. It's not that I want to got the tune now. To you haven't. Say it all I want to let me go. Whoa. More than words are all you have to do to let me know. <laughs> then you would let me know. Because I already know. It's a slap. What do you reckon, Stan? Was that all right, mate? That was brilliant. Thanks very much indeed. Stan's on track. (laughs) We had fair play. We had lunch with our boss today. He said, the show's going really well. We can push it even further. So that's why I'm playing songs for an hour. Oh, I like that chord. It's jazzy. Jazzy. Jazzy mofo, don't know where it's gonna go, but it sounds mysterious, who knows, but then it goes, poppy, 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 we are Nickelback and we're crap and we're poppy, 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 we think we're rock, we're not, we're crap and we are poppy Nickelback. This is Talk Radio. Late night conversation. Wealth losing sleep over. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Ready? You know what this is? Do you know this? Recognize this? You should recognize this. So does your mother know? Well, you can dance with. No. Here we go. Starts, you're so cute. Loving you oh. isn't the right thing, right thing to do. How can oh, oh blimey. Oh, someone's giving, me, someone's giving me wrong chords here, Graham. How can I, when you come take him for yourself? If I could, baby, I'd give you my wealth. <laughs> You can go your own way. Go your own way. Oh dear. That someone's giving me wrong. Someone's giving me wrong chords there, and that is outrageous. You can't go your own way with right. the tune. Listen, Martin. Mr. Martin Kellner's coming on at one o'clock. We've had a good show tonight, but it's time to get serious. Uh, there's a brilliant film out. You know, I like good films, okay? And there is a brilliant film out uh, called Three Identical Strangers. You've seen it, didn't you? Yes. It's a great film. Right, watch the trailer online. You think everything is given away in the trailer. Mm -mm. It ain't. There's so many twists and turns. I I, I met the director of the film this week. Turns out a guy I worked with years and years ago. 
We tread very carefully because we don't want to give any spoilers in this. Trust me, there is nothing in here that ruins the movie for you. In fact, I hope it makes you more curious about it and makes you want to go and see it. It was released in the cinemas today, Friday. Um, and it's free this weekend. Go out and see if you can find it. So this is me chatting to the director of the excellent Three Identical Strangers. We're recording. Okay. And that's a relief. You carry on doing what you're doing. I will, uh, <laughs> that's a relief. I, t- I tell you why it's a relief. Last time I used this... So it, it badly set up, and we were interviewing Jeff Goldblum, and uh, for his jazz album. For his jazz album, have you ever met Jeff? No. He's exactly as you'd imagine Jeff Goldblum to be, but more so. Amazing. He's, he's incredible, man. And he just kind of, kind of takes your hand. It's like Ian. It's so nice to meet you. And, but I didn't have enough room on the memory card, and we missed the. I saw at the end that it had stopped recording. I was thinking, oh god. Luckily, it was only the last two minutes. Oh, so you got enough. We got enough, but it was that sneaky thing. Anyway, so I'm thrilled I've got this working. Uh, I'm joined by Tim Wardle. Tim, nice to see you. Nice to nice to see you. We, because I was looking at pictures of you today. I hope that doesn't sound too weird. And I said, I know this guy, but then I have that quite a lot because my memory is terrible to various abuses. Um, but then you came in and said we have we worked together very briefly years ago. Yeah, about eighteen years ago, there was a there was a, a game show about a video game, a game show, a TV show about yeah. video games called Thumb Bandits, and I think I worked on the pilot with yeah. you. Um, but when I was a runner, um, wow. I think we, we were playing computer games together, and people were filming us. So yeah. that was it. That was the dream job. Um, and this is why, dear listener, I always I, I'm, if I was a dick to you, I apologise because I was in a very strange place then. I was taking a lot of drugs at that point in my life. So if I was rude to you. Was, I may have been. No, you know, you were, you were really cool. I, really, I remember wanting to know a lot about Daisy Donovan because I was quite obsessed with her at that point. And you were just sort of like, oh, everyone wanted to talk about her, yeah. talk about, let's talk about me. But you weren't, no, you weren't like that at all. You were, you were really, um, okay. you were really chilled. Good. Because this is why this is, why this is important. And, I, and I, I've learned this lesson. Be nice to everybody on the, well, you know, be nice to everybody, however low down the rung they appear to be. Because you're now big time movie director. You're big time, Tim. I, I, I don't know about that, but it has been a surreal... It's been a really surreal year, and, um, yeah, it's just fun to be where I am. But I, I think you're absolutely right about... Be, be nice to people on the way up, yeah. because, yeah, you kind of run into all of them later on. Oh, yeah. Well, let's quick... We'll get on to the three identical strangers in a second, because there will be people listening going, hang on, you won't actually did the dream of going from a runner on a TV show to making movies. Briefly, how, what was that journey? Uh, it was a long journey. It's taken, yeah, 18 years or so. We've got sandwiches coming in, I think, from Tim. Oh, well. excellent, excellent. Okay. We can eat more. Uh, no, it took, it took a long time, and, uh, uh, you know, I, but, uh, the, the UK industry for, for documentaries is really, really good. There's a really healthy kind of um, uh, environment, yeah. a lot of great films being made, and I learned a lot kind of working my way up the food chain. So when I got this opportunity to, to, to direct this film, I sort of was able to put into practice everything that I'd learned getting to this point. Yeah. Three identical strangers. I was just saying, and I'll say the story again for the listener. Uh, I was in New York, and suddenly my plans were cancelled, so I thought, well, I've got to do something. Went and saw the brilliant Mr. Rogers' Won't You Be My Neighbour film, which we've had the, um, the director of that on the show, and man, what a movie. And while I was in this little art house cinema, kind of on the edge of New York, the trailer for Three Identical Strangers came up, and... It just blew. It just blew my mind. It's an incredible story. We'll tread carefully because we don't want to spoil it. But the trailer, 
How much of it can we say without ruining the movie? Well, what, what I normally say to people is it's the story of three brothers separated at birth, um, raised in, in th- by three different families, completely unaware of each other's mm. existence, who then, by a series of strange coincidences, meet for the first time when they're 19 in New York in 1980. And they become famous, they go on loads of talk shows. And the film kind of explores what happens from that point onwards, but it also goes back in time to explore the reasons behind their separation. And there's quite a dark, twisted mm. reason and, 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 and a load more twists that happen in the film. It's a real... It's a roller coaster. It's just... It, it's brilliant, because just when you think... There are probably about four or five huge twists, and just when you think you've got a handle on where the movie's going... It just turns another corner completely. How did you find out... How did you get this story? How did you discover this? I was was the ideas guy working in development for a company called Raw that have made films like The Imposter, a documentary from a few years back, and American Animals, which has been in cinemas this year. And uh, The the Imposter, is that the the French kid? We had the... um, God, I'm following your career. We had um, the private detective... Yeah, from from that movie on our show because again that was another film we got obsessed with. Yeah, he's a no, he's a great character. That was a great great film. Yeah. But like actually, the producer of that film is the executive producer of of my film, right. Dimitri. Um, but um, yeah, so so I'm I'm the ideas guy for this company, and people bring in hundreds of ideas, and you, you know what it's like you, 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 when you work in the media and you see all these, you get so jaded, and you're like, oh, I've seen it all before, I've seen it all before, mm. uh, and then one day this producer called Grace Hughes Hallett brought this idea in, and instantly I could see it's the best documentary idea I'd seen in, in 18 years working in, in, in the business, and um, I was like, I have to I have to make this. This, this film because it, it it works on a very it's a tabloid story about these brothers separated and reunited but it enables you to explore these much bigger philosophical ideas about nature versus nurture free will destiny the nature of family uh, and uh, I mean it took me four years to get it off the ground but from that point on I was I was hooked when you say four years to get it off the ground you mean four years four years before you started filming really how come but mainly because it took so long to persuade the brothers to take part and earn their right. trust, and when you see the full extent of what they've been through, yeah. you understand you understand why that is. Um, but I mean, yeah, literally, I, I got married, I got engaged, married, and had a kid in the space of time it took me to persuade them to to, 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 to agree to do the film, and then another year to make it. Um. And again, I'm treading carefully. I, I can, once you see the whole film, you can completely understand their reluctance to be plonked in front of a camera and tell a story. It, it, I think it's fair to say there has been a lot of exploitation of these, these blokes at various points in their life. What was it, do you think, that got their trust? What was the, the, the moment where you put the phone down and went, I think this is going to happen now? I mean... Probably, I mean, to be honest, not until they actually turned up for the first really? interview. I didn't know that they were going to, you know, even show. But I, but I think being British helped. They're a bit, you know, everyone in the film's American. And I think they were sort of intrigued. Like, what's this strange British person? Why, why, why is he interested in telling our story? The, the amazing thing is when they did finally sit down, after a lot of kind of trust building off camera, you know, meeting the family and friends as well were quite influential. Um, when they did finally sit down, they were just prepared to to be emotionally open and kind of go to those places and talk about really difficult things from their past. And, and also, 
to, to, to kind of connect with the emotions they felt then because I think as a director that's what you're looking for kind of emotional honesty you don't just want the facts you know this happened then this happened then this happened what, you, what connects with an audience is what they were feeling at that mm. time and they despite having told the story a lot in the past they were able to kind of tap into that and m- make it feel fresh again they're these big New York tough Jewish guys and you're right, they allow themselves to become very vulnerable. Um, and what part of what I think where your skill is, and it, this, this is kind of a thing that we do on the radio show, the skill of the interviewer is keeping quiet a lot of the time because there are bits in the film where they finish saying what they're saying and there's a long silence and then maybe you know they start crying or they just come out with that next thing that you could never get out of them if you asked them about it. You're absolutely right, Ian, and I think that is one thing I've learned over my career. You know, early on I thought that interviewing, you had to just be talking all the time and, like, throwing in another question. Actually, sitting with people after they've... Sometimes it gets uncomfortable, you leave it so long, and I sometimes pretend I'm kind of playing with my notes or something or I've got a bit lost because I know that there's something more there and you're just waiting for it to come out. Um, and those moments sometimes in between the, what they're saying are, are just as powerful as what they're saying, if that makes sense. It is. I've done that before where we've had a guest and I know they're holding back something and I know that they're going to say it if, if I just keep quiet. And I've, I've actually pinched my leg under the table just to keep me in the moment and to stay sh- shut. Yeah, I think it's true. And it is really, you know, if you're a decent person, you don't like making no. people feel awkward, do you? Exactly. And so it is really, it feels very unnatural and it's very not British to kind of like make someone squirm a bit Um, but no it's a really important part of interviewing but as I say also I mean just for them for them to go to places you know talk about really difficult stuff mental health issues um, you know their family backgrounds um, all this kind of thing I mean you know I just immense respect for them for going there and for trusting me to to kind of tell their story Mm. in the right way because if they hadn't the film would still have worked but it just would have been much less Strong and much less uh, emotional experience. He starts off, and, and this is in the trailer, where one of the brothers is going to college. He's like, he's 19 years old, I think, at the time, and it's his first day at college, and he's kind of nervous, and uh, as everybody is, and people just keep turning around, going, "Oh, hey, man, good to see you." And he, he, he you know, he describes this kind of surreal thing of just walking up to his dorm and, be, "Hey, it's great, you came back. It's good to see you." My girls kissing him, guys, yeah. guys slapping him on the back. Yeah, and, it's, and, and th- then someone comes in and says, "God, you're." You've got, an, you've got a twin brother and you don't know about this and it is and that's really early on in the film and you do and that's in the trailer and you do think God, well, they've, they've shot their bolt quite early on with this it's a beautiful moment isn't it, it? a lot of people have said that to me I mean it kind of races through there's so much story in the first 20 mm. minutes and then you're like this is great but like where they've just run out of space yeah. they're not going to where, 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 where can they go and um it's just the beginning I mean that, that really is the, the, the setup and the early days of their reunion it almost plays like a like a sort of teen movie or like a John Hughes or a, yeah. a kind of 80s teen movie and that's what we wanted to feel like but then with the knowledge that it was going to take a much darker twist quite soon and everything you thought you knew is going to be kind of called into question how much and again I'm treading very carefully uh, how much of um, so basically they, 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 they were all in the same adoption agency and they got, they got farmed out I guess is actually a pretty accurate term to different families and, and the story kind of investigates what those reasons might have been for doing that um, and it does get very dark 
how much of that story, the, 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 the kind of the, the, underneath the iceberg, did you know, or did you discover that as you were making the film? I, I, knew, in, I knew some of it. I knew about 50 or 60% of it, I think, going into it, which was, which was helpful. But there was a lot we didn't know. You know, the, the, we didn't know who we were going to get to talk about the brothers' separation because... Um, and it wasn't just the, the brothers that were separated. There were, there were other twins uh, that were separated as well. And people associated with that have been very reticent to talk and actually I think the story has been actively suppressed over the years. I mean we've found evidence that some of these people involved had contacted media organisations and quashed stories that were going to happen in the past so um, I, I, knew, I knew a bit but I, I certainly didn't know where the story was going and, and who we were going to get to um, talk to us you know there's such a code of silence around this and so much paranoia and we, we spoke to a load of journalists who kind of tried to make films about it in the past and have been shut down every time so we were, we were quite paranoid when we were, when we were making the film who was, I can't remember the gentleman's name, because it's a while since I saw it, the, the researcher that was investigating the story? Do you, you... What, the, the, the journalist who was looking at yeah. all the, the... I mean, there's a journalist called Lawrence Wright, who is he, a... Very, he comes across as kind of a hero of the piece, doesn't I mean, he? He's a bit of a, like, rock star journalist right. in the US. He wrote a book called The Looming Tower about 9-11 um, and won the Pulitzer Prize for that, and he's kind of a really famous journalist out there. And, um, yeah, he kind of stumbled across this story and the, and the kind of dark reasons behind the separation almost by accident and he had kind of been obsessed with it and one of the, they've been getting nowhere for a long long time but still kept digging away uh, absolutely i mean uh, the, uh, people associated with it wouldn't really talk and you know at the heart of this um, separation there, there are these notes these these notes that were taken on the on the brothers that are locked away in a vault uh, in in the states at yale university until 2066 and <laughs> i love that because that's so nuts it's such a nuts date and it's so it's so far away and you know there are thousands and thousands of tens of thousands of pages of notes and videos and you know uh, all kinds of research and no one no one has ever been able to to see it and including this journalist uh, and the, even the people who those notes are about you feel free to dig in and eat i see you've got food i can see you sniffing it even the people um who are written about in the notes they try and get access to it and they said no we, we can't do that you have to get you have to get it signed off by this person and then this person says oh it's nothing to do with me i don't it it just stinks of cover-up and um you know i'm not a massive conspiracy theory guy but man alive there's a huge conspiracy here isn't there well that, that's the thing i'm not i'm not a conspiracy theorist at all i'm certainly not someone who's who's who, who sort of tends towards paranoia but making this film i mean we met so many like legit journalists who were like, "You're going to get shut down." We spoke to a triple Pulitzer-winning journalist who works for the New York Times, like serious investigative guy, who had basically made uh, a film about this story in the mid '90s for a major U.S. network, kind of a BBC kind of equi level equivalent for a sort of Newsnight type um, program, and had had it pulled like it was all ready to go it was all finished and then it was pulled by people higher up the the food chain so we met so many people like that and 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 we we contacted so many people who initially speak to us and then suddenly go silent and, and we'd never be able to you know get hold of them again that um we were aware that there are there are people who really don't want this story told well how come you got it told then how come what, what is the what is the difference between your telling and someone else's is it simply time is it people dying off i think time is a big factor i think that um 
I think that the, 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 a lot of the people involved in suppressing the story have died themselves. Mm. I think also that the media in the US has become more diverse and less centralised, so it's harder for people to control, you know, to use a sort of old boy network to control what stories are told. Um, and I, I, I mean, maybe being British and being kind of removed from it um, a bit, you know, geographically, there were less people who could kind of lean on us and, you know, and, and sort of harass us. But certainly, um, yeah, the, the organisations and individuals involved in the separation of the brothers really were not, not um, forthcoming at all. I'm going to ask a question that's long enough for you to have that bite of what looks like very delicious pasta bake. Pasta bake thing from prep. I just I had to start eating it because uh, it's going cold. Eat, eat, please. No, no, please no, 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 but I, I can talk. I'm a fast eater, so I can talk <laughs> while I'm eating. Good. Okay. Um, it, 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 you, you talk about British documentaries, and I think British documentaries, are, that, you know, there are some great filmmakers. Who, who is an inspiration to you? Who do you kind of look up to? Oh, my goodness, there's so many. I mean, I think that... Um, you know, you've got Michael Apted, who made the 7-Up series for, for, for ITV. But, I mean, just in working in television today, there are so many great filmmakers. I mean, there are people like a guy called Morgan Matthews, who made, um, made a load of great docs. Um, there's a guy called Nick Holt, who's done a lot of Channel 4 docs. My boss... Uh, for many years, there's a guy called Brian Hill, a very established British documentary maker who's made things like Feltham Sings, which was like a, a documentary inside Feltham Young Offenders Institution, but using poetry and music to kind of um, explore the stories of the people in there. There, there are just uh, every level in documentaries in the UK, there are great people working, and it, it really is the best. I, I really believe it's the best um, do- documentary industry in the world, and it, certainly the Americans are really, you know, really look to us and, and are really kind of jealous of the kind of tradition we have of, of documentary filmmaking um, I should just say we're in the noisiest place in the world but it's nice it's a nice little bit but people were saying well I'll go and tell the workmen to stop we can't, we can't stop workmen doing their job just because we're talking about a movie and also uh, let's pretend it creates a nice little bit of atmos um, the film has, how has it been received in America? It, it's, it's been a hit hasn't it? I mean it's been, it's been absolutely, it's been crazy, I mean it's a crazy year yeah the film's taken Twelve and a half million dollars at the box office, which I, I believe makes it one of, if not the most successful British doc of all time oh, over there. Yeah, I mean, crazy. I mean, by comparison, something like Amy, which is obviously incredible and won the Oscar, that made I think that made about eight million a few years back. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a, also in the states, it's been a crazy year for docs in general. Like, I think about four films will have made over ten million at the box office, right. which is just unheard of. So, I think. You know, this time next year there will be a lot of um, a lot of the studios are getting involved in, in feature docs now, and it's um, there's just been a real people. I heard the term coined the other day, doc buster, which I'm not a big fan of, but <laughs> but it's it's there's a real moment happening over there, and, yeah. and, and it'll be interesting to see whether it kind of spreads here as well. Uh, and how has it been released in the UK yet? What's what's happening with that? So it's it's the film's been released in cinemas nationwide on the 30th of no- November, which is this Friday, um, and yeah, hopefully playing around the country. Um, should be able to, most people should be able to find a cinema relatively close to them that is yeah. showing it. Yeah. It is exciting, I think, watching a document. I, I, I think documentaries kind of became the, the preserve of television for a while. The, 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 the thought of, of going to the cinema to see a documentary kind of died off a bit. And there was also, you talk about um, docbusters, there was also a period when we stopped calling them documentaries and they were just reality, they were lumped in with reality TV, which I think was a terrible you know, time for the films. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think... I, I still feel that there's a high bar that documentary needs to cross to, to justify charging people money yeah. to go and see it in the cinema. And I think a lot of documentary films, and I see a lot of festivals, do struggle when they get to about the hour mark to kind of have enough... Um, story to keep them going and the films that I grew up watching in, in cinemas, the documentaries things like Touching the Void, Man on Wire those are big epic stories and there aren't that many of them and I, I guess I was waiting for 18 years to find a story that was big enough to justify being told yeah. in the cinema um, so I think it's good that we, we've kind of um, the documentary space has been reclaimed from the reality show and I think that um, you're just going to see more and more, I, you know certainly what's happening with Netflix uh, and the box set kind of um, documentaries, whether you know, like these, the, you know, the crime series and stuff like that, like Making a Murderer. What it's done is move docs into the mainstream, where people have realised that you can go and watch a documentary, and it can be informative and educative, but also entertaining and a, and a and a real experience. And I also think probably there's something going on at the moment where. The real world is such a crazy place. You know, America is a crazy place at the moment, but also what's going on here, um, that people almost... Uh, drama can't kind of deliver, yeah. uh, you know, because the real world is, is, is so... sort of surpasses that. So I think people, t in those kind of times, people probably turn to documentary to reflect the world around them and to kind of en entertain and educate them. The twists in Three Identical Strangers, you, you, you couldn't write. Because you go, all right, well, that's no, you're taking it a little bit far now with government conspiracies, all of that kind of, you know, cover-ups and journalists being suppressed. How, uh, um, and the brothers did become celebrities. I love that bit when they pop up in um, Desperately Seeking Susan. That's hilarious. And they get that restaurant and they become, you know, they're going to, um, to all the nightclubs and stuff. How are they... How are they with this... How are they with the film and with this kind of fame second time round? I think they're actually dealing with it better than the filmmakers, yeah. I have to say. Right. Like, we, you know, uh, we're just sort of a bit in a whirlwind, uh, the, the few of us who worked on this. And this is, uh, for all of us, our first feature. We've made, we've made um, cinema, uh, TV docs before, but we've never done anything for cinema. And it's just been a wild ride. Whereas they're a bit more um, philosophical about it. You know, they've been through it before a long time ago. And um, they're just they're just enjoying it, I think. You know, and, and the, what was interesting is they, without wanting to spoil the film, they, their relationship is very um, difficult and uh, and was difficult when we were filming. But as a result of making the film and spending time together and promoting the film, they've kind of been brought much closer together, which was something unexpected and lovely yeah. that we weren't we weren't anticipating. Brilliant. It's such a good film. I'm so pleased to see you and go, uh, yeah, I do, I do, okay, I did work with this guy. I was looking at that phone going, I recognise him. <laughs> You've come a long way since Stun Bandits. So have you. Well, <laughs> kind of went a long way, then went back a bit, and then I'm going back and forth. This film is so good, man. You, 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 should, oh, you should be very, very proud of it. I'm, I'm sure it's going to do brilliantly in the UK. Is there another, is it too early to ask if there's another story floating around for you? I mean, it is hard to find another doc story that will top this one. I'm definitely talking about a couple of projects that are quite interesting, but um, I'm really... Find quads. Yeah. Quads that were separated. That's got to be... I think, yeah, multiple birth separation. I may need a break. After six years to, to this point now, I, I need a bit of a break. But um, I'm interested in a few drama projects as well, scripted, and I'm really interested in that point where scripted projects and, um, and, and documentary kind of overlap, um, the sort of hybrid drama doc thing. So, no, it's just an exciting time and um, trying, to, trying to enjoy it as much as I can. Brilliant. Hey, nice to see you, man. Well done. Thanks, Ian. Cheers.